These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. All right, welcome back, everyone, to week three of the Wrestling Rewatchables. We're here with Wrestling Inc. President Raj Giri, Giri. And also here with Sports Illustrated's Justin Barrasso. How are you guys doing? I laughed because before we went on the air, Jesse's like, let me double check your last name. And I know. Then, I, I, yeah. I said I'm not going to mispronounce it. Don't worry. I said it and then I'll get it next time. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm good. How are you guys doing? Long week. Long week in the in the wrestling world covering. I know everyone everyone who loves wrestling felt it. Uh, yeah. Even even we didn't talk about this before we went on the air. Larry Sanka, what a, what a, that mm-hmm. was the, his stuff was just uh, – like that was a it was a staple after after a show you know you knew he was writing, uh, just a tough week in the wrestling world. Yeah, yeah, him him in the shad, you know, shad Gaspard incident. That was like I just like scrolling on Twitter Monday morning. It was like back to back. I was like, wait, how can both of these things be happening at once? But man, what a rough, what a rough day. It was a rough day, uh, and then people that watched the Owen Hart episode that probably didn't get your spirits up. <laughs> really mm-hmm. sad, uh, and but you know. Uh, Let's let's try to have some fun today. Yep. And, Hopefully, uh, to get everyone's spirits up, we got a great show. This is uh, the third Saturday Night's Main event we're watching. This took place on May second, nineteen eighty seven. It was taped on April twenty eighth, nineteen eighty seven. So really, basically, a few days after it was taped, it aired. Um, this was basically kind of a fallout show for WrestleMania three. I know we're going to talk a lot about WrestleMania three tonight. But basically, this was the first kind of major show after WrestleMania 3. So what we see is a lot of the fallout of the angles at WrestleMania 3. There's a lot of Hogan and Andre. There's a lot of Savage and Steamboat. There's the Hearts and the Bulldogs have another match. So there's a lot of stuff going on after WrestleMania 3. Real quick, before we kind of get started, what are you guys kind of like memories of WrestleMania 3? Uh, for me, the most iconic memory is still Hogan and Andre and their stare down at that beginning of that match. Um <clears throat> and uh you know hogan shaking going for the slam fall just that that visual i'll never forget it to me that is wrestlemania you know that larger than life stars that atmosphere and that drama so uh i thought uh in many ways it's my favorite wrestlemania of all time <clears throat> i think the card's electric but to me you know wrestling is the story of what comes next and uh, jesse that's a good question too, because how do you how do you get any bigger than hogan andre mm-hmm on the next Saturday night's main event, you have Bobby say there's a huge reveal why Andre should be champion. He's still undefeated. So kind of classic pro wrestling. Um, and to me, I mean, having the benefit of hindsight, like it's one of the greatest stories of all time, Bobby and Hulk, right? Even when, so when Bobby finally gets Flair to win the belt and he wins the Rumble instead of Hogan, even years later in WCW, even though Heenan's a, a villain on commentary and Hogan runs the NWO, Bobby doesn't like him. He says, I, I've been telling you all along about this guy. He's a, he's a fake. He's a pony. It's just such the Heenan-Hogan story for parts of two decades was just incredible. Yeah. 
And it's yeah. interesting that when Hogan eventually does lose the title, it's because DiBiase is working with Andre and Heenan is kind of not in that role. And it's in, so, in hindsight, it's a little disappointing that Heenan, his entire mission for years was to try to wrest the, way, the title away from Hogan. And he tried with a bunch of different guys and a bunch of different ideas. And unfortunately, he never really got his, uh, his day in the sun. I thought of yeah. Vince right away when I saw, I'm sorry, Jim and Raj, uh, Bobby, Bobby starts the show with the neck brace. When Vince goes on trial, he has the neck brace. It's like, <laughs> it's the classic bad guy, put him in a neck brace. Probably. And you know when you see Bobby open the show, or close to open, I don't think he's the first interview, but he's got the neck brace on, you know it's going to be good. I wonder if Vince bar- borrowed it from Bobby, if they had that one. That's the one that they use, that they circulate Same around. Prop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. So paint, let's paint the picture here, a little bit about what's going on here in May in 1987. Top of the box office, uh, so in May, was Secret of My Success was the number one movie for five weeks in a row. I don't remember it being that big. but Wow. Very mo- I mean, Michael J. Fox is riding high at that point, but yeah. yeah. He was a megastar for there, for, you know, basically until after this movie, and then it kind of went downhill a little bit before he came back in TV. And then Ishtar, which was a giant flop, but it, uh, <laughs> it was number one for a weekend before Beverly Hills Cop 2 came out during... Uh, Memorial Day weekend. I love that one. Beverly Hills Cop one still one of my favorites, but uh, two was still a solid. Well, sequel. if Michael J. Fox on top of the world, Eddie Murphy was as well, right during that period. Oh, yeah. That was when uh, he was yeah. probably the most famous. Probably the most famous comedian in the world at that time. Yeah, uh, Michael J. Fox, Stallone, um, Schwarzenegger, uh, Eddie Hogan, Murphy. You name them. That's the, yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah, so uh, mm-hmm. we're gonna get started here. If you want to pull up your broadcast of the show on the WWE Network because I'm assuming what most people are watching this. Unless you have these old VHS... Did these come out on VHS tapes? I don't think so, no. I mean, they have like Best of Saturday Night's yeah. events or they'd have like right. Hulkamania and there'd be some of these matches on there. I think that's where I saw Hogan versus Orndor for the first time was that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we're, yeah. we're so everyone's on the WWE Network, presumably. Jesse, a little, a little too young for this, but uh, it's hard to capture the excitement. I suppose it's like walking into a toy store. Do those even exist anymore? But when you were a kid and you walked through the video store and you got to the wrestling section and you looked at the back of those covers, Raj, it was electric. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but it was a big deal. So WrestleMania 3 was my first WrestleMania that I, I watched in any form. And it was months after. And I had heard about it. I was starting to get interested in wrestling. And then I was like, Hogan and Andre wrestled? Oh, my God, I got to get that. So my video store... It was never there. And I'm talking for months and months and months. So I put my name on a wait list. I was like number 40 or something like that. <laughs> and people were checking it out for weeks. It would just drove me nuts. It took, and yeah, it took months for me to finally get that videotape. And when I got it, it, it was like, yes, I'm going to watch like this over and over. <laughs> it, it sounds like it was like 100 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. That's how you... Well, I, I'm video. still... I, I, you know, when I was a teenager, Blockbuster had kind of been phased out. But as a kid, I still went to Blockbuster and still went to the wrestling section. I remember... I know this makes me... This really, really date me. Uh, WrestleMania 19 was one of the ones I always got. I probably got it like five times from Blockbuster. My parents would be like, that again? I'm like, oh, but it's got Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle. And Brock Lesnar tries this, the shooting star press and he lands on his head. And, you know... um I remember I got, they had the, the WWE, like history of the WWE championship DVD and it came out in like 2006 maybe. And it had like a lot of the, the matches from like the Bruno San Martino era and then a lot of the Hogan era. And that kind of was really what I would say sparked my interest in wrestling before, like what was currently happening, kind of going back and watching that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> real quick. Did we, did we say which Saturday night's main event we're doing? Yeah. I'm May sorry. 2nd, this, 1987. Yeah. This is May 2nd, 1987 from Notre Dame, Indiana. Um, 
attendance of 9,345, which sounds like it would probably be pretty legit. I don't know how big that building is, but that's a pretty small, I, small during number. During this but, time, they were, I mean, they were on fire. They yeah, so but usually they would be like, there's eight, like we, we talked about in the first one, like the Hartford Civic Center, there's 20,000 people there. And right. this seems like they a, must at least. Have popped it up on this one too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least that's the number <laughs> that I found online. So um, we're going to hit play and then we're going to hit pause right as immediately after just to make sure we're all on the same track. And some people have commercials, people get the network differently. So on three, two, one, press play, press pause, and we'll give it another 15 seconds. Uh, This show did a 9.5 in the ratings. That's down from the previous show, which is 11.5. But you have to think, you know, the other one was leading up to WrestleMania at WrestleMania three. Hogan and Andre were in the battle royal. This show doesn't quite have that kind of card. Hogan is not on the card. He does appear a lot in promos. Um, But having watched this earlier this week, I actually think this is maybe the best top to bottom show. There's a lot of different stuff going on. There's a lot of Randy Savage on this. There's a lot of, um, you get the heart foundation versus the British Bulldogs in a two out of three falls match. Um, it kicks off with Kamala versus Jake Roberts. So there's a lot of good stuff on this show, despite them not having maybe that one giant match. Yes. He feels like a modern show. Doesn't it? it this like- feels like, yes, this feels like a mo- more modern show. And, um, it still has some of the charm of the age, but you can also see like, you know, there's a Ricky Steamboat match. There's obviously the Heart Foundation match. There's a more um, athletic working style, which kind of made me like the show. Um, it's it's different than the, the previous shows, but it does have its own uh, value. So uh, we're going to hit play. Uh, I'll do another countdown here. Five, four, three, two, one. Everyone press play. These openings, man, I love them. Yeah, we're gonna get the like the the videos, like the individual little like videos. Here we go. Yeah, you, you know what's interesting is that uh, you know we talked about the characters back then and how they did their own promos. These Saturday nights main event were all scripted promos. Uh, these these openings, all the promos in the middle, uh, the Vince McMahon Jesse Ventura. Uh, openings those were also scripted and you could sometimes hear jesse or see jesse mouthing vince's lines as he's saying them so but because these guys know knew their characters it works so well they just take their character take those scripted promos and make it work as, as opposed to being given a character liz looking you don't see that very often but liz being intimidated and scared of randy during his promo either for him or or for his opponent like she she knew her role i don't know if liz gets her credit either but again, another. I'm sure Savage is still great without her. It's kind of like Paul Bear and the Undertaker. Like Taker's still great, but Paul Bear was such a key part of that success. Liz was such a key part of the Macho Man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine Macho Man without Elizabeth in this era. Absolutely. It's weird how time went so slow. Like things changed so much year after year. You know, back then, like. You know, three years later, Savage and Elizabeth are no longer together. And you had it, you know, and in that time, you had, uh, you know, their their split, the, the face turn. Savage became the WWF champion, and then they're no longer together. Just three years later, so it's uh, kind of odd. And something that's interesting about watching this show, and it's such a difference than today, is that, you know, this is coming off of WrestleMania three. And there's not another pay-per-view you immediately start building towards. There wouldn't be another pay-per-view until Survivor Series in 1987. And I don't know the history exactly, but they might not have even had planned Survivor Series. No, that at was this a, point. That was a yeah. late decision they were because they were running StarCast. Yeah, I mean, StarCade. <laughs> yeah, they were trying to, to compete with StarCade, so they kind of threw together Survivor Series. So basically what we're seeing here 
is almost like a build for like what we're really seeing is a build for the house shows that people would go to because the house show business was the dominant form of income for the WWF at this time. But what you end up seeing is you'd almost see a lot of build for WrestleMania four because that's almost that's you know all these feuds are going to keep going and you wouldn't have the big blow off in a lot of cases until WrestleMania four. I mean that was when you see the Hogan versus Andre rematch, which you know they're which is basically what they're building on this show. Up until probably like probably like 2001 maybe um the house show business was such a gigantic part of their um you know uh, the substantial percentage mm-hmm. of their revenue you know their their re- revenue and profit uh it wasn't until the tv deal started getting big and you know 2000 after the 2000s that uh they became less and less important even yeah, well, the earthquake month- i remember that that did like that's a big feud that didn't end on pay-per-view that ended at house shows which one which one was that Hogan Quake, uh, Earthquake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they did that SummerSlam match that didn't have a finish. It was a countout, yeah. and yeah, they never had the the clean finish. But that yeah. was almost the idea because you would do that match at SummerSlam, and everyone would see it who got the pay per view, and then they would just be able to kind of do the you know the blow off match on each house show that they would go to you well, know, you, in the fall. But usually after the house shows were done, they would do a televised. You know, usually Saturday night's main event were the the big matches after mm-hmm. the, the it was done. And, Even uh, Roberts, uh, Jake Robert Savage was a, a Saturday Night Main Event blow off. Uh, yeah. Before we talk about Bobby and Ken Patera here, which is phenomenal, he, you want the belt, he starts whipping them. Um, Jesse Ventura, it's it's funny to compare the broadcast then to now. Jesse does toe the company line and, and promote exactly what he's supposed to promote, but man, he does it in such a realistic fashion where you feel like he's talking to you and not working for the company. Ventura was brilliant. Oh, uh, in man. his role, it's just amazing how well he could. Because now it seems like they're selling me something. I never felt like Jesse Ventura was a salesman. Yeah, and and the one thing with Jesse, could you imagine them giving him like the ten pages of rules of things he can't say now? Um, I'm sure he would well, toss it aside. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell no you this: way. with Jesse watching these shows with Jesse Ventura, like the reason I think so many people have such fond memories of Jesse Ventura, not only because he's really good at his job as the heel announcer, but that he's right. In the main event, which yeah. is the, you know, yeah. the, he's not spewing BS. He's, yeah. he's yeah. giving the heel side, which is, and, and it's, but, it's like in Cobra Kai when Johnny tells his side of the feud with Machio. Well, in the, like, in oh, the, that, that, that makes sense. In the main event, they build up the main event for the show is, is the Canem connection versus um, Nikolai Volkov. We, and, should, we should say the actually, last match of the show. Yeah, it's, it's not really, but yeah. the, the point is like Half Side Jim Duggan basically yeah. announces that like if the, you know, if Nikolai Volkov starts trying to sing the national anthem, I'm going to have something to say about it because this is the USA. And Ventura's like, if he's defending the USA, you know, part of his freedom is being able to sing the national anthem and everyone's like yeah jesse you're right but of course right. you know vince is like trying to sell it like duggan's the hero which he's supposed to be in storyline at the time people of course go crazy for duggan yeah. but in hindsight when you're watching it, it's like yeah you know jesse's right he's making a lot of sense he's not like you know bsing you like you know you would get today yeah also um, i mean michael it's Sachs, hard Jr. Saying, oh sorry uh oh, go ahead, michael Sachs jr saying first time catching you guys live thanks for tuning in um and he, get, go, he uh, gets ahead, to justin. hear me Wax poetic about Mr. Fuji. Another guy that doesn't particularly get a ton, maybe because, I mean, the last great moment for Fuji was what, Yokozuna? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, big, big moment in, in Yoko. He was with Jeff Jarrett for a ra- randomly for a little bit, <laughs> like a couple Fuji, of weeks. Fuji could do, I feel like could do anything. He knew the business so well. He knew little ways to get guys over. Even I loved, it didn't make sense, that promo he just gave, really, about the snake in the grass and Kamala, but, like, 
I love Fuji play. Fuji made every guy, even like the nobodies, not the Kamala's a nobody. I think Kamala's very uh, agile for a guy that size and very talented. Right. Fuji was just so good you just, at making guys better. We, we just, just noted. They, they just showed a Jake the Snake promo. Yeah. It's pretty short, it's a, uh, which is, Jake is one of the best promos in the company. But, uh, but Gene, Jake the Snake versus Kamala, this is such a interesting match. Yeah. Gene Well, Oakland, they had to make the, the promo way. short because he's sticking the snake in Gene's face and Gene, Gene cuts it off. So, yeah, uh, Gene right. sells the <laughs> it's all Gene. It's all Gene selling, like the shaking of the microphone. He sells this, like he's terrified of the snake, which most of these guys do. But it, it's a really good promo because it's almost like you don't. Jake doesn't even almost has doesn't even have to say anything. The entire fear is played off by, by Gene. It's another reason why he's so good. He's really Gene Oakland is really like the star of these shows. Kamala, that man, this gimmick would not work today. Oh, oh, much? so um, okay. I mean, I agree. It's one of those I don't even know. Like if, if you induct him in the Hall of Fame, you could show some of so, these clips. So Kamala, so Kamala's like one of those great kind of character guys from the '80s. He works. He comes up. He, you know, he, Jim Harris is his real name. He's from Mississippi. Um, he comes up in like you know as kind of like a preliminary wrestler. He ends up working in Memphis in 1982, where they kind of, him, I guess Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler kind of come up with the Kamala character, and they shoot this crazy video where they introduce kamala which is like oh i want to say it's jerry jarrett but it might not be jerry jarrett but they're um like in like africa you know quote-unquote africa and he's got like a like he's hunting for big game and he sees kamala like in the in the brush and uh it's something that has not aged well to say the least but this was the Kamala had the gimmick where he went everywhere and he'd come in for six months and he'd draw and he'd work with the top guys and then he'd go somewhere else. And he started in Memphis and then he went to mid South and then he went to WCCW in Dallas. Then he went to the WWF. Then he went to the AWA. Then he went back to the WWF and he had a really long career, basically just doing this gimmick, which was a pretty simple, straightforward gimmick. He, he's, he's a very agile guy too, but could you imagine uh, this, you know, Kamala, um, Jim Harris today, like just, you know, in a singlet, working in NXT, uh, this character makes him a star, you know, and uh, yeah. a presentation. And um, it's just one of those things sometimes, like, same the same thing as a big boss man, um, where just ha- that presentation can make you a superstar. Yeah, uh, I think the boss man... Go ahead, Jess. I think... I think Bossman's gimmick could actually work. You just tweak it a little bit. The yeah. idea of like an arrogant, power-hungry, you know, law enforcement officer or security guard or or whatever it could work. It would be a, a little bit more political today, um, obviously. But I, yeah, you obviously couldn't do really anything like Kamala. Yeah. What were you going to say, Justin? I, I feel the same. I'm surprised they haven't done a police or corrections type uh, character since. Um, but, and I agree. I think that's Bruce's comment. Fuji, to me, with the face paint, I always associate Fuji with uh, demolition and the powers of pain. Yeah, um, but uh, just a, I love this match in its in its simplicity, right? Like Jake, really simple in his move set, but it makes everything makes sense. Kamala, simple in his move set, but everything makes sense. Simple, it was beauty and, and simplicity, and their storytelling was really strong. Though just the way they they built that story in the ring, um, Kamala doesn't get the credit he deserves. Jake does, but um, yeah. Two, two really talented guys. Yeah. Bruce Bannon uh, noting that Kamala was hired in WCW in 95, refused a job to Macho Man at Halloween Havoc in 95, and was then fired. Who are you? To... What was Kamala thinking there? Yeah, I know. What the... uh, wow. Um, we're going to see Honky Talk Man later uh, on this show. Um, if you want to talk about people refusing to job to people. 
Yeah. Um, uh, but Terry Allen Jr. It, with a $2 super chat. Thank you, Terry. He said, in your house, 1995, Sid wore red. We were talking about that last week, right? Like uh, Two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. <laughs> Not remembering. I didn't uh, know that. That's great. Yeah. You guys didn't ask so, him about the red tights. I was disappointed. I know. We should. Yes. Sid's intense. He's, he can be an intense interview. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our, our Kadeep asking your favorite wrestler. If you had to choose your favorite wrestler of all time, you only pick one. Who do you guys got? Sid, Sid Justice. Red, t- red tight said justice. Red tight said justice. Uh, red tight said justice. Jesse, are we um, the answer from, from New Japan. I'm taking it. Um, actually, Raj, my favorite wrestler of all time is Toshiaki Kawada from All Japan. Ah, but Kawada. I don't have a real favorite. If I were to pick a WWF guy, I'd probably say Bret Hart. Yeah, mine is still always always will be Randy Savage. He's it's a great you know, choice. He he just remind he just reminds me of what pro wrestling should be. You don't look at someone and say that guy reminds me of Randy Savage. Because he was such a quick character. He's so over, you know, so colorful. So his promos, his presentation, the music, he was uh, just amazing. On the same note, mine was Mr. Perfect. So the same idea, right? Very believable. He could work either side as a good guy, bad guy, face heel, whatever you want to call it. So uh, he was look at so Jake's calling for the... Jake's calling for the DDT right now, and you can just see how crazy the crowd goes. It kind of shows One of the best. This, is, this is interesting. So Kamala, so there's a distraction. Jake got hit by the cane by Kimchi, and then Kamala pins Jake the Snake Roberts. If I saw this lineup, I would think Jake wins, no question. But the great part is you needed to sell Fuji as a difference maker with, with uh, Kamala. I love that Ventura well, earlier in this match says, can he really hit the DDT on Kamala? Of course he can, but like it makes you think, geez, I right. don't know. And um, I also love Jesse's going off right now on on Joey. We, we, we talked about how Jesse would tease Gorilla or Gino. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's talking about you know how dense Joey Morella is. It's not surprising they got one past him. So a yeah. uh, good moment for Ventura no, to pick on a friend. We got we got a cool moment coming up here. Kimchi is taking his outfit off. So Mr. Fuji and it's the honky tonk man. It was the honky tonk man. And all as along. we saw earlier, the honky tonk man had broken a guitar over Jake Roberts's back earlier. Um, and he and beat. This is so good we're coming off of this WrestleMania three, and he beat uh, Jake Roberts at WrestleMania three, mm-hmm. even though Jake had Alice Cooper in his corner. Real surprising. Yeah, Detroit native Alice Cooper. Like you see, the, you see the rematches on the on the on the, at the house shows. You see Jake get his kind of, again, a, a, you know, very different business mm-hmm. uh, back then. And this Hibbo, is really good. Hibbo, this Hibbo, is really Hibbo, good. Wibbo asking. <laughs> My Randy Savage impersonation. I'll do it. I'll do it by the end of the show. I got one. I'm sure we all got one, right? Absolutely. Uh, I have <laughs> one. I don't know if it's a good one. <laughs> so honky just beating down Jake. This is Speaking great. Which, how did we not have a perfect Savage feud? Like how did that? I guess the timing just didn't work, but would have been gold. Yeah, they were kind of heading that way, and then Warrior left the company, and then all of a sudden, Perfect and Savage were partners. Partners. Yeah, I was so bummed out when Perfect left WWF during that period. It was, uh, I know. it was, uh, I was really excited when he turned babyface because they, you know, they quickly turned Brett. Brett, I felt like he hadn't reached that level of star power yet, and he did. Years, I felt like years mm-hmm. later where he was a legit draw. But when they first turned him, he had been a mid Carter up until that point when they had him win the title. Um, and Perfect was that kind of star that you could put at the top easily. Right. And like I said, this is kind and of Raj, a follow-up show. Great, that was a great primetime wrestling. Uh, yeah, he says, "You want an answer? I'll give you an answer." And he pours the uh, he pours the the water on Bobby's head. Right. Well, because so, earlier he was saying he wasn't going to do it, and he was laughing it off. And then uh, the whole episode built to perfect. Then you know, 
accepting the challenge. It was it was well done for what they had. They had a week to to set up that main event because Warrior was gone just like that. He was fired. Help me out company. with another good perfect moment, another good perfect turn on the other side of the card. I, does he turn on Mark Merrill uh, to to align with uh, Hunter Hearst Helms, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley? But he left shortly thereafter that too. Right. Yeah. Like yeah, and that was another time when I was devastated because yeah. uh, I thought they were leading to a Triple H, uh, Mr. Perfect feud. Um, that would have been really fun. Yeah. yeah, that's when they were jobbing Triple H out all summer, and he got his first win in Intercontinental title match. <laughs> you know, go figure, he gets an Intercontinental title <laughs> shot after losing all summer. But right. yeah, he was aligned with Mr. Perfect there for, for a minute. So we got George the Animal Steel versus Machamay coming track. What's that? I said we're officially off track. This is a good interview too. Gene Gene's confusing, and I I think he gets scolded by Ricky Steamboat in the next segment. Yeah. He's like, "Why yeah, are you Steamboat comes you? back?" Yeah. So yeah, we got George Steele versus Randy Savage. I think it's clear at this point that the plan isn't for Randy Savage to be a babyface. You no, know the way they, that comes they into that comes show. into play. This show, if you if you fought like Randy Savage is basically the star of this show for the amount of different stuff he does, but he has, he does a really good, there's a really interesting end to the show. Yeah. And it, yeah, it looks like kimchi and honky tonk man now are at ringside. Yeah. So it's kimchi and, um, honky tonk man, Bruce Brennan saying kimchi was played by Steve Lombardi. I, yeah. I don't know if that I can't, that's, that's true. No, that, that's true. Yeah. Most of the time. Oh I'm, yeah. Okay. And now well, actually Ricky I was Steamboat. confusing. So I was confusing Steve Lombardi with Steve McMichael. Oh, uh, no, yeah, no, Steve McMichael. And I was like, nah, he's much bigger than Steve's. that guy. But. Yeah, <laughs> Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Brawler, who was also MVP, this baseball player, for that that gimmick lasted a couple of weeks. The uh, Abe other, Knuckleball played doink are you, for a you're while. Not talking, are you talking about Abe Knuckleball Schwartz? Abe Knuckleball Schwartz. When he first uh, debuted, he was called MVP. Ah, during the baseball strike. Yep. Great uh, cutting. So this is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I like he's wearing this Harley Davidson shirt, and he's got the sweet uh, USA bandana. Kind of a normal body too. Uh, yeah. You know, if he's if he's if he's on PEDs, it doesn't look it. He's he's just a big dude here. He's got that football body, you know, big, tough. Um, but yeah, it's like it's kind of. But yeah, it's but it's kind of like what what kind of like separated Goldberg. Like Goldberg had a great body. But it was like a different type of body than like the bodybuilder, like on the gas body. It was just like this is a big, broad yeah, shoulder, like thick neck guy, let, and it kind of made him stand let's check out. Let's this Macho Man promo real quick. I'm the true Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion. So awesome. Right, Randy. Wait, what? Right, champ. It's better, yeah. You know, Randy Savage. I don't understand a lot of things, including why you would want to get in a lumberjack match with George Steele. You gotta be ribbon. First, he kidnaps my man. Says ribbon. You never hear that word on TV on wrestling. No escape. Vengeance is mine. All right, George Steele. How he almost never looks at the camera. Yeah, he and Oakland were great together. But man, did Liz play a great role. She's just yeah. Perfect counterpart to to Macho. Yeah, I mean, if if she he was with uh, like Missy Hyatt or something like that, it wouldn't be the same, you know. Or Jimmy Hart, who's great. I mean, there. I mean, just it, this worked. I don't know if anything else would have quite like this. Just like Taker. I mean, Paul Bearer. I, I think it's the same idea. Like it would have been good otherwise, but it was great with Paul Bearer. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Duggan was getting a push, uh, and then a month later he got busted with a cheek. That's true. He got arrested um, for driving. I think the cheek had cocaine on him. And yeah, yeah, they were. We talked about this last week, but the big scandal in that was almost like that they found out that the Sheik and Jim Duggan were riding in the car together when they were supposed to be feuding. And I think the Sheik got released, and then Duggan was kind of taken off uh, a TV for a while. Um, but he would he come back because he he went he did he does get fired, but he doesn't he win the Royal Rumble, the first Royal Rumble in eighty. Is that eighty eight or eighty nine? I thought he was fired before this. Duggan? Yeah, wasn't he fired before this? Uh, and then he came back at WrestleMania. I thought Duggan and Sheik were both fired. And, and I remember, because to me, it's a funny story because, you know, Duggan's in the kind of the rat pack with DiBiase and Roberts. It's the three of them, and they all have their own vices. Um, though, uh, mm-hmm. uh, where am I going? So the three of them, uh, but it's funny that Duggan's getting advice from Jake, like, hey, man, take it easy. Vince will call you back. He'll come back. Like, don't go crazy. When you're getting advice from Jake Roberts uh, to yeah. calm down, it's probably not a good point in your life. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I think, you know, and I, I think I think Duggan got pulled over. I think for an empty container, like he was drinking in the car. Yeah, there was. I a, there were, so I got it here. There were, it was May 26, 1987. So just a few weeks after this aired, mm-hmm. uh, him and Sheik were arrested for DUI. Duggan never got fired. He was on the verge of release, but he didn't get fired. Yeah, he was taken and, off for uh, like six months or something like that. And he was at that Survivor Series, so uh, so he was back by November. But yeah, so they sent him home then. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Bruce, man, he's a. Wealth of knowledge. Duggan came back in October to feud with Harley Race. And Thank Bruce, you. that was the uh, that's the thirty uh, seventh annual writers thirty five or thirty seven, whatever ridiculous number they use at the Slammy Awards. I think it was like the thirty seventh annual <laughs> Slammies, and that's when he and Race uh, brawl throughout the entire uh, venue and the yeah you know, like food fight. It's a lot of what we saw like at uh, Money in the Bank actually right. this year. Vince loves that like pie in the face kind yeah. of nonsense. So yeah. Whenever I think of the Slammies, I always think of Owen. He's the most associated with the Slammies of. Uh, you know who I put in the most uh, Vince is Vince is probably two with stand back. But you know who's high on my yeah. Slammy list, Raj, is Todd Pettengill. Like I can't think uh, of the Slammies without his his musical numbers. Uh, as a kid, I loved him. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can still sing one right now. I'm not going to, but I think I can still sing. Uh, he would open with a musical number like. I don't know. Is it the Emmys or the Oscars? Or he was good. We did do someone Slammys on the network. I don't. I don't good think question. so. I don't know. That, ah, they good question. Because they used to be standalone shows, correct? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They weren't like, just part of um, Jesse. The, they when they like, they're trying to think of the Pettengill ones. Were like the the night or two before, I believe, WrestleMania. So it was special to have like a Saturday night special or something, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm tempted to so, sing a little bit. I'll wait. Someone, someone, you know, maybe kicks forward a comment of a certain value. Um, Justin will sing uh, a Todd Pankiel number from the old Slammy shows. Uh, he, he's got the one I'm thinking of is like it's an Owen Hart, Davy Boy Smith song. He sings. This, he does a bunch of songs about them. Uh, we're at the Slammys. It beats the Grammys. We're live on USA. Uh, I wish I knew like something about science or medicine or world history, but instead I can quote the Slammys from. Years ago. <laughs> so this is probably the most enduring feud it seems like in the history of saturday night's main event because this is the third one of these we're doing and it's the third time that they're having a match and but a key second, thing is this is this is the second time on saturday night's main event though right is it did we not see because the other was wrestlemania 2 well we saw the first another? saturday night's main event there was the savage versus um 
steel match, right? And then we had the one last week with like Liz is um, not, uh, Elizabeth is in the uh, like lifeguard chair, and the winner gets her. And then we have this lumberjack oh, match, yeah. which they this this lumberjack match, like all good booking ideas, they use to like, kind of set up a bunch of feuds that you would actually see on the rest of the show and obviously yeah. in the future. But if they do a really good job, kind of like giving all these guys a purpose for being out here as opposed to just kind of having bodies, which is kind of what they do a lot now. Jesse, a little bit like AEW with guys in the crowd, like they're still working on their storylines too. I just couldn't help but laugh. Duggan running around with that two by four and everybody running, sprinting away. It's like it's eight on one, but the board comes out, they run. And uh, I know we're talking over it, but Jesse, Jesse was notoriously hard, just commentary wise on Duggan. And, and he was here too about him and that stupid board. So yeah, he he scared everyone off, got kicked out, sent to the back. And you're right. I mean, Jesse's absolutely right. (laughs) He's absolutely justified. You know, more often than not, when him and Vince, him and Vince would argue, Jesse was the one that was actually right. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, that's why we like Jesse. (laughs) Vince is kind of a bad babyface announcer because he makes you feel like you don't want to like the babyfaces. That's why we had a whole generation of people that grew up saying they like the heels. Oh no, no, no! Hogan was, you know, the baby faces in the '80s were the biggest. I mean, no, I know, I know, but y- they're talking you know. in the '90s though. People ended up liking the heels, and this is Jesse put, putting that kind of like uh, idea in their brain when they were kids. Jesse, Jesse made it cool to be bad. Yeah, made yeah. It, yeah. Uh, I'm laughing at, at, at uh, Steel throwing the turnbuckle in Savage's face, but right. <laughs> the beginning of the end for for who here uh, for George Steele. This is this is in terms of a big marquee uh, matchup, you know. Savage, this was it, and uh, the Bulldogs. Bulldogs don't stick around. I mean, obviously Davey has a has a great great run later, but Dynamite Dynamite's time is you know it's it's closer than the end and the beginning. Yeah, yeah I, I mean they were in the next WrestleMania, and that was kind of it. Yeah, the next WrestleMania they had Matilda got kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had the thing with the Islanders, but yeah, so it, it was. Uh, this is unfortunately and Tom, kind Tom of... Zank, a rare Z man. Yeah, he's an action probably... leader. We got uh, the Can Am Connection, not the Can Am Express. The Can Am Connection, Rick Martel and Tom Zink. Um, is it probably their only Saturday night's main event, I'm guessing. Well, they're going to be in, in the, the closing match tonight, I believe. Right. And in yeah, retrospect, yeah, I mean, the Bulldogs and the Hearts, and we're, we're looking, they always wanted an, uh, the Stallions or some other tag team. They, they tried a lot of young uh, other teams uh, yeah. when they had two of the best already right in front of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Bulldogs and the Hearts were, they were kind of like. Uh, Road Warriors and the Midnight Express of, uh, of the WWF as far as just a, a great feud that, you know, just kept coming back to them, going away, coming we back. And it was always yeah. awesome. Well, they were all the Calgary guys, and they were so used to working with each other. And they, you know, they worked a certain style. Um, I would call it now like a more modern style, but it was a kind of a style that not everyone worked in the WWF. So they almost, in some ways, the best way for them to work was to work with the people that understood that kind of style, as opposed to maybe some of the other different styles that maybe, you know, maybe not as athletic, maybe more, you know, sports entertainment E. So steel steel throwing Savage outside and now Savage into it, three steamboat. mm -hmm. All the guys are fighting Danny Davis from behind with the bell. He hits him with the wrong side of the ring bell. Like he hits him like the wooden side. No, that's the side they usually hit. Is that you? Well, I understand it's easier to hit the guy, but logically, wouldn't you want to hit him with the steel part? With the bell. Also, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that we talk about the feud outside the ring. It was uh, Hercules and Steamboat who had the match, so that was building that, too. Here's yeah. the yeah, iconic this is smart. drop from Macho. And Savage pinning steel and ending the feud for good. See you later, Hopefully. Yeah. But it was a great, it's a great run for George Steele, you know. He'd already had such a big, long career. This is kind of like 
the last kind of run he he's in. And he, I mean, I'm sure he made a good amount of money and he, you know, he's working three Saturday night main events against Randy Savage. So now you're seeing steamboat in the ring attacking Savage and then Herc Hercules attacking steamboat. That's the match for later tonight. Um, and then this is the last Saturday night's main event uh, of Savage's first heel run. You know, after the next time we see him, he becomes a full baby face. I mean, they, you know, they sprinkle the Hogan dust and, and turn him into the hottest baby face uh, at the, by the next time we see him on Saturday night's main event. But you see, as we said, like all these guys are feuding each other here. Jake comes out. He's got his ribs taped because he's selling the, yeah, uh, the big nice. splash. So something about the Jake versus Kamala matches, it's kind of one of these interesting things is that Jake is like a big guy. He's probably about six foot five, but he's never like kind of presented as a big guy. It's not almost like part of his gimmick. While Kamala is the Ugandan giant. He's obviously like the idea is that he's this big monster guy, but when he gets in the ring and he's shorter than Jake Roberts, it kind of creates an interesting dynamic where these guys, you almost have to have, have like, if you're actually big, it has to be part of your character Otherwise, you make the guys who are supposed to be big look small. If that makes any sense. That snake would have terrified me, by the way. Um, yeah. And now we got to sit down with Andre and Bobby the Brain Heenan. No camera tricks. Just look how big Andre looks there. You know, he's not standing in the, in the outfit, box or anything. He just looks gigantic. The well, Andre, I, I, his hand. It's almost like his clothes are always a size too small, too, which right. just makes him look even bigger. Yeah. Andre is saying he's the real champ. Well, they're going to play off the angle. The referee uh, was incompetent at WrestleMania 3. I mean, it was, a, you know, this was one of those storylines where it made sense. The referee Are Bobby and Andre sharing a, a chair? It's like a love speed. It's probably <laughs> bigger. It's probably bigger than, like, a. do you think? But Andre is so big that so it big, yeah. looks like it's not big enough for two people. When If it was yeah. two normal-sized people, it probably would be. But Bobby Heenan's the master of instant replay. We saw it with the Orndorff match. Uh, two weeks ago, he's got it all queued up. And here's the famous stare down from WrestleMania three. Uh, Andre is seven foot five, but he's only a few inches taller than Hogan. How does that work? Yeah. Like Andre's like six ten, and Hogan's probably like six six, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, think about it. I mean, he's, you know, Drew McIntyre is probably a little taller than Hogan. Uh, here, you know. Yeah, I mean, but Drew's a big guy. But that's kind of my point is that Drew's like well, that's they don't what really I mean. Tell like, the idea like, that Drew's like a monster. Hogan always seemed like such a huge guy, and I think people yeah. forget that Drew is a, a, a really big dude. He's a. Uh, they don't really play up his size, even though he's. That's that's what I know. mean. It's almost like if the, he's not like the, the Scottish giant or like right. you know anything like that. He's like a big guy, and you know they say oh he's big, but it's almost like deceptive like how big he really is. Like unless. The, knew he was 6'5", you might not even, like, notice. And it, it seems like in that modern, in our modern era, we love to make the, the good guy, the baby, the baby face, the, he's always working from behind, which is tougher to do with a giant. You know, when you're, mm-hmm. Drew, Drew McIntyre is a legit action figure come to life. Um, so I see the challenge there, but um, that's why, to me, it was a missed opportunity. Like, that, that match, it's not Hogan-Andre, but, but Drew, Big Show, following Mania. Like I wish they they had a whole episodic build to right. to Big Show congratulating him, saying how proud he was of him, and being like I want, but I want your belt, yeah. and then making that kind of a story instead of it just being a weird 
Like, I still think that's an odd way to start Drew as champion saying, no, I didn't want to wrestle you. I think Drew's fantastic. It's so weird. Yeah, I agreed. Like, after WrestleMania, they're just still all there. He's interviewed 20 I, minutes later. I mean, it. yeah, I agree. It was very awkwardly done. I don't see why they didn't just change the set or, you know, film, you know, Big Show versus Drew on a Raw set. To your point where, you know, they issued a challenge and it's next week or, you know, a couple weeks out. They do an angle challenge, then the match. As opposed to Even the show opens away. with him congratulating the new champion. Right. And then it, it, it ends with him choke slamming him or something. Yep. But yeah, it's or the big you know, he knocks him out or whatever. But right. Uh, yeah. Because Big Show is one of the guys who's legitimately bigger than Drew. And that's hard to find. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you see it on the Raw side. Like they did the feud with Rollins, which looks like it's over. And now they have Lashley. But there's really not a lot of like really credible, awesome heels that Drew's going to work with and he needs those guys to kind of establish himself. It's, I feel like they're kind of thin on that side. See, Desi, yeah. I'd go a different direction with Drew. Uh, Raj, you want to jump in? Oh, go ahead. I would go a different direction only because, I mean, A, I'm biased, right? And B, he's tag team champion, but I would go with, I would, with a brand to brand invitational, I bring guys over that he can beat, that it's not going to put them in a bad spot. So like Corbin, whatever, but like, I love the idea of Kofi Kingston coming over and yeah. Kofi can lose that match. I don't think it's a knock on Kofi at all to lose to the current WWE champion, especially when he's in a tag. It's just not his time to win that match. Like to me, I'd have I'd have Kofi come and I'd build him with against former champions and do things like that. But uh, and, and again, I don't think if it was two on one, that's a joke, right? If McIntyre beat the New Day, but if he just beats Kofi in a really competitive 15, 18 minute match, like I I think that does more for his his credibility than anything. It helps Kofi too. Um, and then Kofi can always say, you know, my my day will come later or my next goal is Big E is champ or something you build to. But I'd, I'd love to see them do more with, like, not necessarily the good versus bad guy, but be a little creative with Drew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a great gimmick. They, like, put, like, food in Jimmy's, like, pants or something, and they let the dog go after him, and he does such a good job selling it. Jimmy Hart is one of these guys who I think is, like, historically very underrated. He's so charismatic, and he's so good uh, a talker. <clears throat> he does a lot for the Hart Foundation. Yeah, I don't think Jimmy's Let's hear, let's hear from Matilda, too, because, you know – uh, animals and children are notoriously can be hard to work with. Well, watch, yeah, she, they get him to bite his pants. Yeah, live setting. It's a good and stuff. Yeah, yeah. She, she goes at. She, she goes after the she, megaphone. She doesn't accidentally go after Brett. She knows exactly where to go, and gets Jimmy bites his megaphone. Yeah, you could have done it. They, you could have yeah. done it any better than this. Really, this the is hearts. like the best they could have hoped for. I also love how the hearts don't take off the tag belts. Like yeah. that's such a classic Brett thing, right? It's it's all so real. Yeah. Uh, it just added to the moment. Yeah, that's what, when Brett and Diesel had that feud, and he would complain that Diesel would just you know keep the the belt over his shoulder and not wear it around his waist. You could feel like you feel like that's how Brett really felt. You know, he's he's 100%. always been so respectful I, I with the belt. I think it was Bob Holly's book. He gave he said Brett was a great professional, but he, he took it too too believed it was too real. And that's like a, a blessing and a curse because if, if he didn't treat it that way, I mean, I think Brett's success is is believing it the way he believes it. But yeah, I mean, it, it led to some great mov- moments on TV. Yeah. Uh, Bryce Russo saying, hi, Jesse, Raj, and Justin. Hope all is well. I'm a huge fan of your channel and the streams. Keep up the great work on YouTube and I wish good health for you and your family. Thank you very much, Bryce. We awesome. Awesome. Bryce. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for watching. So we got... Davy Boy and, and Dynamite Kid, if you want to talk about two guys who are bigger than they're probably supposed to be uh, physically and guys who changed a lot 
from 1980 to 1987. They're two pretty big candidates, but they're still so agile and such good workers. Davy Boy Smith, for a guy his size, his athleticism is, is tremendous. Speaking of different bodies, too, Brett's body, he's up. Brett, and it's funny that Brett's a small guy for this era. Right? Brett's huge. Yeah. But it, yeah. Brett definitely, by the time he gets the perfect at SummerSlam at Madison Square Garden in what, 91, Brett's got a different uh, build. He takes a lot of pride in in, uh, in his body, but um, a little bit thicker here. Yeah. Bruce Bennett asking, so why wouldn't the match end after the first fall? Bulldogs win by DQ. They can't win the titles on the next fall. WWF, they actually had that rule in two out of three falls matches. If one ends in a DQ, it still counts as a regular fall. That's how the Brain Busters beat Demolition. Uh, one of those falls that Brain Busters beat Demolition was a DQ, and then the next one was a pin, and they got the title. So Suck I know it, it doesn't really make sense, but... I always thought it was Shame kind of silly to do like the dusty finish. Shame on us for trying to apply logic to these matches. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's funny when I, you'll, you'll see people like... How can Brock still be champ? He hasn't defended the title in 30 days and stuff like that. Goldberg, mm-hmm. you know, you know, any part Triple H, you know, these guys in the past of the rock. And it's like, this is wrestling. Come on. You got to, you got to have some creative. Well, yeah. I well we we're talking. I'm sorry, Jess. No, I was just saying we we're talking about the Slammies earlier. And I was thinking about like the people who get upset about the Slammy Awards, like who wins them and who doesn't. I always think that's good. The, um, that you get me thinking that demolition brainbuster match. Mm-hmm. Did they win both falls? I know the first was DQ, right? It, was it two nothing? A rare two nothing, or did demolition get a pinfall? Demolition got a pinfall. Yeah, 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 I'm pretty sure they got the. I'm pretty sure they got the first. I can't remember if it was the first or second, but yeah, it definitely wasn't a, a two and out. I think um, isn't it the Rockers and the Heart Foundation. In a match that never aired, that was that might have been two straight falls, but the ring ropes yeah, broke. That was like the set. Well, what happened was that like they did the finish, and then like I think Vince changed his mind. There's a reason for yeah. it. I forget why, but they basically said like I decided that like that, that they didn't want them to have the tag belts, so they just didn't they didn't air it, and they well, never yeah, lost the tag he, belt. he didn't like how it looked, and then by the time oh, they yeah. had the next tapings, they just decided decided not to go in that direction. So what's interesting is that basically they get the heat on Davy Boy and then Dynamite comes in, which is unusual because Dynamite Kid historically as a smaller guy would get the, you know, get beaten down and then tag in Davy who'd do the, you know, the classic big guy hot tag. But unfortunately for Dynamite, who is one of the very few like trans, truly transcendent like workers in this industry is that he is, you know, his body is pretty much wrecked at this point. He had that terrible back injury. That's how they kind of did the title change earlier. And he really doesn't have that much left at this point, um, which is why you see a lot more Davy Boy Smith in this match, despite the fact that Dynamite Kid historically is one of, like, the best workers ever. Dynamite, Brett's making these two guys look like a name, but not that they're not great, but Brett's making them both, especially Dynamite, uh, in, in a limited capacity, making them look so, so good. And he made Jim the Anvil Nightheart. I mean, when you think about the Anvil... Uh, he had so many great tag matches, and you don't think of the Anvil as a, a great worker, but the way he was able to use his power in these matches. And, yeah, well, it's uh, it's all about contrast. So it's he, all about yeah, how he, we just had. Uh, but I can't, yeah. I can't, and I'm not knocking Jim Neidhart. I'm a huge Neidhart fan. I love the dropkick. I can't tell you one great, like memorable. That's my favorite Jim Neidhart match. That's, right. But I can think of a, a, a dozen Anvil matches that I loved in the Heart Foundation. Right. And absolutely, he could just be him. Like he could, Brent could do all the work and Anvil could be the special powerhouse. It's a great combination. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's all about how you, you know, using a guy to his strengths, which is Brett's really good at selling. He's really good at getting people invested in the match. Then he can, you know, he fights back as the baby face underneath and then tags in the big guy who runs wild. I mean, that was pretty much how Roman Reigns got to start on the main roster for a few years was basically, the, you know, Ambrose and Rollins would sell and then they tag him and he'd get the hot tag and, you know, the glory spot, as they'd call it. And then this, you know, that's how you work around a guy who's maybe a little bit more limited. And Tito Santana had run in causing that DQ. So uh, Heart Foundation or so the Heart Foundation got uh, didn't get DQ'd, right? It was the Bulldogs. Well, so yeah, Santana runs in and he's with the Bulldogs. So that kind of is up. So the Heart Foundation are up. Um, no, Why wait not? a minute. No, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. The, the, the Heart Foundation got DQ'd and the Bulldogs won the first fall. So it's one one. I love Jimmy running with his hands up, getting chased. Yeah. Gotcha. It's Pretty amazing to think. No, go ahead. That's the Rockers didn't have a tag team title run, which looking back is remarkable. Like anybody could have a tag team title run now. I feel like uh, it's just, so, right. and that's just the way titles change uh, back right. then. It was so different. Yeah, absolutely. They, they meant something. That's why back in the day I could name every intercontinental champion, you know, through like Mr. Everyone. Perfect. Yeah. And then, you know, once the Attitude Era came, they they were just changing that thing every few years. I could I could name every Intercontinental Champion up until like '98 or '99. And tag right. champions are pretty easy to remember up until like that Godwin uh, Body Donna right. era. Like, and then it's yeah. like, who, who cares? Yeah, exactly. Um, Amy Elliott Vaughn saying, "I forget." Oh, sorry. Uh, you can wake up by elbowing in the back of the neck. Good times. She had a d- different one saying, I have so enjoyed watching the Saturday night's main events. Great memories from my childhood. Me too. Why they don't incorporate some of this stuff into the current product. I mean, you could you can easily throw this match in or a match like this or something and have, you know, the again, I think it's so easy. There's so many good talents that, to have, comment, you know, to do commentary, especially on Raw. With a three-hour Raw, you can't have guys do commentary over these matches. It would be right. fun, especially it's not necessarily better than what we see now. It's just different. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they have – I like one of the my favorite series that they do um, on the WWE Network is they have the wrestlers, like, pick their favorite match or, like, a match that they really enjoyed. And they don't do commentary, but they do a little explanation beforehand about, like, why this is one of their favorite matches. And it's like, oh, I was a big Bret Hart fan as a kid or I was a huge British Bulldog fan or anything like that. And it kind of makes you think about the match a little bit more. It's like, wow, this inspired so-and-so to, to you know, become a professional wrestler. You knew that wasn't going to end well for Bret. <laughs> Never did. Yeah. I don't think he ever hit that once. I don't think anyone's ever f- jumped towards the rings with their legs spread out, or through the ring ropes with their legs spread out and had it end out favorably. Great drop kick by Davey. Right. Hang time. And he's probably like 260 at this point. Oh, yeah, at least. Yeah, it's crazy. They're, again, they were considered smaller guys in the company. You know, and they were enormous. <laughs> I know. Dynamite Kid in today's WWE, he'd be like... Bigger than he'd be bigger than ninety percent of the roster, or eighty. Yeah, at least like mass wise, like you know, muscle wise. It's interesting. Right. I thought about dynamite. Like dynamite's like really ahead of his time as a worker, but it's hard for me to think that he would have been like that much of a bigger star if he was around today. He'd definitely be like more appreciated, but he really couldn't cut promos. And I don't want to bury him, but and I know I love Dynamite Kid, but he really didn't have like the kind of 
The charisma. Entertain <laughs> yeah, charisma and entertainment that like um you would need to get over you know in any era. He'd be more appreciated because people would understand like how good of a worker he was. But it's hard. I think it's almost like he's better off being like this ahead of his time kind of performer that inspired a future generation of performers as opposed to if he were to just come around now, he wouldn't be as special. But I think that can be said with a lot of guys too, right? A lot of I've got uh Tonight we have uh, Havlicek steals the ball behind me. I just feel like too a lot of the the era, past eras, past generations, like maybe they wouldn't have worked now, right? Like the guys are so talented, people are so talented now. Here comes Tito, but um, yeah, he, he, I think he came at the right time, Dynamite. Yeah, and Tito, um, Bruce Pritchard was talking about it on his podcast recently. Was uh, in the running to become WWF champion. Uh, you know when Ric Flair uh, when he had to basically dropped the title in 92. Uh, Do you believe that, Raj? I I mean, (sighs) it sounds unbelievable, doesn't it? See, I remember it was in Tito's book and reading it, and I was like, ah. But I could see that being in saying it, and he was there. Yeah. And he was saying he was in that meeting. It was him, Vince, and uh, one other person. I'm forgetting who, maybe Pat Patterson. And he said it was between Tito and Brett, and then they did the UK tour, and Brett just was so over that they decided to go with Brett. I could see him being on a list of guys. You know what I mean? Like, right. hey, because there's no harm in that. But I guess the, we have the benefit of hindsight, too. Because that's when the title really meant something. You were really putting it. It's not like now where you yeah. can pretty much put it on anyone. Wait, wait. That was it? Did I miss well, it? So, you know, the finish ends. The crowd pops crazy. But then they kind of announce, oh, because oh, the, the first fall was a DQ. It's like I said, like almost like a dusty finish. Where oh, so the they Bulldogs... did adhere. They did adhere to that here, and they yeah, didn't so the Bull... do it for demolition and the brainbusters. Yeah, so the Bulldogs do not win the titles, even though the crowd popped like they thought they did. Which long term probably isn't the best strategy to to do that to crowds, but it's uh, it gets keeps titles on the Heart Foundation. Yeah. So Bruce's uh, message earlier about why did the match even continue after the first fall being a DQ. That's what I thought watching it the uh, earlier when I watched this the first time was I was yeah, like, why even do that match? You know, but again, it's all to do. I'm calling it the dusty finish. I think this slightly predates the real focus of the dusty finish, but the idea of you do a finish, the crowd pops thinking something happened and then some technicality comes in and ends up Lucky. not being the case. The second fall should have been the DQ then. And I, they should have still celebrated yeah. thinking they won the titles. And then because yeah, otherwise it, it made no sense why they had the match continue anyway. So are they we back in the promo. same room? With Hogan, they were in with Andre? Let's see. Let's look at the couches. Uh, we're zoomed in. We're against the wall. It's the pictures. Uh, I, thought the plant, I thought that plant was in the background. Yeah, they're at some classy yeah. place. They're on the campus of Notre Dame. I think the arena is on the campus of Notre Dame. I've never been to, to Notre Dame. Justin, what are your thoughts on Notre Dame? You're, you're a, a Catholic school guy. Yeah, I visited once during college. Uh, I was supposed to go back. I went to Boston College. I was supposed to go back in the fall of 2004, Jesse. It was a big BC Notre Dame college football game. Uh, senior yeah, year, we rented a, rented a Winnebago, but I had to back out late because uh, it was the World Series. And we and my brother and I were, were working in Fenway, and we had, it was games one and two against the Cardinals. So, yeah, so I've only been once, but I was always impressed with, with Notre Dame. Bruce here, Bulldogs, 85-86 versus the Hearts, probably the best tag matches of all time. I don't think I can argue with you. Um, For their time, especially in the WWF, they're like I said, they're working that Calgary style, which is so athletic and it's so much different than what you would normally see in WWF, which helped create a 
a nice variety of the show that not all the matches were, were the same. I mean, you compare the match we just watched to like the Kamala and Jake Roberts match and they both got over. They both had big pops for them. They both worked, but they were completely different. And, and, and you see the importance had... of, of star power back then. Savage wasn't yeah. there yet. And you see the, this, this Saturday night's main event did a lot lower rating, you know, than the, the prior one that had Hogan in action. Mm-hmm. So um... jump in the tag uh, comment. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue that they were, they were brilliant. But the tag division had so much diversity in terms of like demolition worked a very different style. Uh, I love like when you when you pair the Rockers and the Brainbusters together, those matches were they they don't get talked about now, but they, they were really good matches. The, t- the tag division had so much variety to it; it was so special. Strike Force, um, they were great for the short time yeah. they were together. Well, um, the Islanders really, were really good. They're underrated, uh, underrated. The really good match era. is, I want to say it's at WrestleMania 2. It's the U.S. Express, which is Wyndham and Spivey versus um, the Bulldogs. I want to say that's WrestleMania 2. No, the, I think t- WrestleMania 2 was the Hearts and the Bulldogs. Oh, no. Well, was WrestleMania it? 2 had, well, the WrestleMania 2 had the Hearts. Oh, no, it was Greg Valentine. You're thinking of like Greg Valentine it's, and Brutus Beefcake, right? The Dream Team. Oh. The Dream Team. Let's see here. Against the Bulldogs. I might be right. I that's right. It might be. Then I might be thinking of WrestleMania one. Quick, quick internet search here, real quick before Bruce yeah. uh, tells us the right answer. And we got another promo. Yeah, you, you guys are right. Dream, dream Team his, at WrestleMania two. His first uh, televised match against his first Intercontinental Title defense, and then by the next, the time Saturday Night's main event comes comes around again, he's kind of out. He's on the outs of the company. He does have another WrestleMania appearance, but he's beaten in the first round. Uh, and then, yeah, he's just basically Ricky. In gone. terms of that EST thinking, which I, you know, it's it's always hyperbole, like the greatest, the wor- uh, the biggest, uh, the lowest. Ricky has one of the biggest falls from graces in WWE history. I mean, what he, he does with Savage at WrestleMania three to really never in, in that iteration, right? Never having a great. The next great moment he has is what with Jericho. It takes a while. Yeah, and it, you know, at the Survivor Series later this year, he was on Randy Savage's team, and they didn't even do an angle with that or anything. They didn't even make right. it a story, even though they had such a legendary feud. So we got Hardly. Savage watching Steamboat. So you could tell here that the plan for the summer is because they're, you know, again, Saturday night's main event was to build a house shows. The plan here is for Savage and Steamboat. That's what they're building for the summer. Well, uh, and very shortly what? thereafter, Ricky the Dragon wants to take time off uh, with mm-hmm. his wife uh, just having a baby and basically just they were going to give it to butch reed they couldn't find butch reed at the tapings that day went with honky tonk man yep. and hadn't dropped the title yeah and it's interesting because you know at the times they had built, done a lot to build up steamboat to to win this title and he they, they give it to him and then as soon as he wins it almost he asked for the time off and I mean, it was a different time. I don't know if how they'd handle it today, how Vince would handle it today. Um, but at the time, and you couldn't really afford to take the time off because the roster was so loaded that unless you were like a guy like Hogan, they were going to find someone who was going to replace you. Even then, back then, Hogan didn't take time off until it was time to do a movie. Right, but if Hogan did take time off, he'd come back and his position would basically still be right. there as opposed to a guy like Steamboat. And, of course, Steamboat would go, you know, he, he'd be – he'd, come back to the company in late 1987. He keep going into 1988. He ended up, you know, kind of having a nothing match at WrestleMania four, and then he's gone. Um, 
And then in 89, he has, you know, the great series with Ric Flair, which are probably the, with addition to the WrestleMania match with Savage, the best remembered, remembered parts of his career. But then he'd kind of go back and forth. He'd go back to the WWF, had not really do a lot. He'd go back to WCW, and then uh, he ended up getting an injury in, I think, 1993. And that was kind of it for him, like, actively in the ring until he came back with the Jericho match, like, 15 years later. Well, Ricky had a huge, yeah, he had a huge run in WCW after he left WWF here with the, the steam, you know, with the Flair feud yeah. and... And NWA was World so Champion. Winning, his first, winning his first world title. Or his only so title. big, in fact, that Vince McMahon decided to drop his name when he came back to the company. Like, <laughs> Just like, what are you doing? And but put scales on him and have him blowing kerosene. I could see you giving someone who's unestablished that gimmick, but give sure. that to Steamboat, who's such a... In his own company, he's already an established star. And yeah, but that's kind of so that was like the Harley Race thing. Like he's got to be the king. You can't just. Be but the, but that's Harley one Race thing. Harley Race, Race was that was he was bringing someone in and giving him a gimmick with Steamboat. He was he already was there. Yeah, yeah, he was there before. Well, they give him the WrestleMania three lean on the lean on their own past. Yeah. They give him the dragon gimmick. You know, he's working the dragon gimmick now. He mentions it in every promo. This dragon breathes fire. All that kind right, of but stuff. But then he, like they want him to be an actual dragon. It's one thing as a nickname. Like yeah. it, It's like if Jake the Snake came back and he's just the snake and he has to wear a, an outfit and he slithers, you know, slithers around the ring. Um, they took away his, you know, again, when you think of a WrestleMania main event and the name's attached, the dragon is not, you know, that's not like a WrestleMania headlining name. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is. You know, it took yeah. away his credibility, which I don't think could have been the plan. Because why would you not want to make money with a guy? But yeah. they did strip him of his of what made him him. Yeah, he was never the same, and uh, and that was the era where they started overdoing the gimmicks to death, and you really started seeing the decline like fast and well, even that's that's that Hart, that was the hitman. I don't think it works. He had to be Brett the yeah. Hitman Hart. Like, exactly, so many, Macho Man Randy Savage, not just Macho Man. Nothing. Yeah, I mean nicknames work. The um, it, this is that time period. I think Jake Roberts tells a story about like he's on like a WWE tour and you got Ricky the Dragon Seabout. He's got like a lizard and Jake has the snake and the Bulldogs have Matilda and Coco Beware has Frankie and it's like a, a zoo that's traveling from town to town with these wrestlers. It was Vince was big on animals at this point, and they had and the wrestlers had to take it themselves. Yeah, Coco Beware right. with Frankie. I'm sorry, I don't know if you didn't, I don't know if you said that or not, but yeah, um, no, that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Um, he, no, you're right. He had to, like, I wouldn't, you know, these guys are traveling 300 days a year, and you also throw in taking care of a, a parrot or a snake. I love these Macho Man pitcher and pitchers that they have. I also like, like, they're in the locker room. Do they, like, bring in, like, an old, like, RCA TV and, like, put it in the locker room? Like, now when they do that, like, they're always looking at some screen, and you could say, like, oh, it's just, like, a you know, an iPad or something like that. But it's, I like the idea of them moving, like, this old TV into the locker room. This right here, what they're doing... Uh, Savage is helping Hercules. I mean, uh, helping Steamboat. Yes. It's a good storyline. Foot because he doesn't want Hercules to win the title. He wants to beat Steamboat for the title. Yeah, so and it's, Hercules it's a, is upset. The Hercules, uh, Chris Masters, I guess too. But that full Nelson, it, it was so legitimate, so believable uh, when Herc when Herc Herc locked it on. Jesse Ventura was a big part of that too, just making yeah. making you believe that that move was real and you weren't getting out of it. Right. Bobby Lashley's bringing it back. I like it. I, I think yeah. it's, it's it's all about selling it. They yeah. sold the master lock. Like I'm like again, I'm gonna date myself as a, as a youngster. But I was like in fifth grade, and I at school everyone would be like putting each other in the master lock and trying to you know you come up behind someone and put them in the master lock and be like the master lock, the master lock, and that was the whole thing. And 
unfortunately for for masters it never really worked out for him but it, that it's a good gimmick if you just build it up i don't know if they can build it up with lashley in like a like three weeks and expect it to like be super over for when he wrestles drew but i like the idea of it yeah the, one of the th- one of the problems with wwe is when they're moving on to the next opponent they're trying to build the heels way too quickly as opposed to giving them like more of an established run like bill lashley for the summer and then so by the time you get to drew it, it feels big as opposed to uh, he just started winning matches, you know, over the past few weeks. And, yeah, you know, I mean, he that just gets, lost to WrestleMania. That gets back to my point of them not really having a tremendous amount of depth on the heel side. Like they go, they did the Rollins feud. They're kind of moving on from that. If and it's Rollins, not Lashley, who Rollins else do they have? Rollins is the Monday Night Messiah. It's just not the same as Rollins as as Rollins. Um, yeah, and I don't think the a, a corporate authority would work now necessarily. Right, but that that, that worked a lot better than this. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if he had that that character, he you know, he, but uh, they changed it up. Like he was doing the same thing with the AOP and Murphy, but he, it wasn't a Messiah Church group, but just right. you know, these uh, he's just hired muscle to take care of him. Um, I think it would work a lot better. So Hercules, Hercules got be- the chain, and he starts <laughs> choking out Steamboat. Match is over. So. So Hercules blowing his chance. They didn't give, it's interesting they didn't just have Steamboat beat Hercules here. So they're still they're protecting Hercules right now because even at WrestleMania three with Billy Jack Haynes, he did not. And the, the he won the Battle Royal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're he's getting a push. It was uh, a couple of years it's, later where the, Hercules started becoming almost like an enhancement guy. He would just lose all the time. Well, this is My part of Hercules' um, moment. I think it was the 92 rumble when he is, he's in the ring flair and Bobby just mentions how great Hercules is. And uh, then, then he starts to beat up flair and gorilla goes, you probably remember how you treated him. Something like that. So Bobby was just so good. And he was so good. So this is like maybe my favorite part of the show, which is Savage is kind of tempted to get in the ring to you think save steamboat. And he doesn't. And it's kind of, it's slowly, very slowly kind of building towards his baby face turn because the whole idea that he wants no, to be doesn't need to start kicking the hell out well, of Steamboat now. Raj, you're jumping ahead of me. My the point is is that they're kind of teasing the idea that Savage. It's kind of putting the fans, the idea in fans' heads that maybe Randy could be is going to be a babyface or could be a babyface. Now he, like you don't really know what he's going to do here at this point. He kind of teases what he's going to do. Well, I like that Randy's obsessed, right? Randy, and that's kind of good guy, yeah. bad guy. Randy, he wanted the belt, whether it was Rick Flair right. at the world title. With Steamboat with the IC belt. If Randy wanted Hogan, if Randy wanted the belt, that was the object of his desire. Which Hogan was interesting because they had Liz involved, Flair too, for that matter. But um, he wanted the belt. So Savage looking concerned over Steamboat right now. But fans right now are probably thinking, like, what is Randy going to do? Is he going to help this guy up? And then of course he runs the top rope. (laughs) He and the way he would get to that top rope was so. it was so Randy Savage, like yeah, he, he, he just not even just fluid. It was just it's such a an interesting style. Like it's uh, it's so unique. He doesn't walk. He like bounces or floats. It's weird, right. but it it works. Yeah, it's like a frog jump, you know. And I don't know. It's, it's very well. Unique. You, you don't. I. I mean, I no one. A lot of guys do an elbow off the top, and there's not a few guys. There's not a few guys. There's not many guys I would rate in the same class as Savage, even though everyone's done an elbow drop at some point. Hacksaw here. He looks like uh, someone at a, you know, a 
dollar yeah. a beer bar, you know, like uh, getting ready to get kicked out kind of deal. Uh, <laughs> He's got his ticket. Right. It's like this. It's funny seeing the tickets, like the tiny, like red, like tiny stub, as opposed to like the right. ticket master tickets that they have now. And he's making sure that Nikolai Volkov's not going to sing the Russian national anthem or the Soviet national anthem. Yeah. Duggan was super over there for a while. You I mean, what happens. I mean, what's that? You wonder what happens if he doesn't get if he if he and the Sheik don't take that car ride, or if, if I don't think he replaces Hogan, mm-hmm. but he, he he's definitely got a uh, he's got an argument that he could. Yeah, and he well, was even, a big star. Even after the car accident, uh, I mean, the uh, the DUI, it's, he, uh, and they brought, you know, he, he came back and he had a feud with Andre the Giant. And he they had him knock him out with a two-by-four, which was, you didn't see anyone lay out Andre the Giant back then. Yeah. Well, he has, he wins the Rumble, which, you know, it's the first Rumble, so it's not quite the Rumble, you know, it's not like... It, yeah, the, it was on USA kind of Network, thing. it was 20 yeah. minutes. But still, and, he did get a push in... You know, he had a really successful career in, uh, you know, in Memphis and in Mid-South Wrestling, you know, right before coming to the WWF. So he had, he, you know, he was a really successful babyface, um, you know, working those Superdome shows for Bill Watts. But yeah, he, I mean, he's over on, on these I shows. Mean, his payouts he, in those days back, isn't he has, anything he has close. A, ceiling, a definite ceiling when he comes back that he just can right. never crack, whether, you know, and that's probably Vince, right? When he, if he loses faith in you, he loses faith in you. Right. So, yeah, he was never- Duggan was definitely like someone who could headline, you know, when they had the A, B, and C shows, he could yeah. headline the C shows. Yeah. Um, so it does seem like they're kind of just, the yeah. it does seem like they're kind of like asking the, you know, begging for, for fans to now jump over the railing and get in the ring if Nikolai Volkov is singing the national anthem because Duggan's saying he's sitting, Duggan says he's banned from ringside. And so he bought a ticket so he could be at ringside and then he just hops the railing and uh, he's not ringside waxed. though. No, 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 no. He's, he said know, in the know, promo that he's banned from ringside. So, he, you know, I can't be at ringside, but I bought this ticket, you know, you know, classic, I, I can't be in the building, but I bought a ticket. So now I'm here as a fan. And then he immediately hops the rail and starts, and then he's ringside and then nothing ever happens to him. They don't, yeah, exactly. don't you know, to Justin's point, he's not ringside. He's in the ring. Technically, he didn't break the rule. Technically, he didn't break the rule. But also, too, a pretty big deal that, like, Volkov and, and, and um, Sheik are established. Like they're yeah. really putting Duggan in a great position early in his run. Yeah. Well, uh, this is the Can-Am connection, which they got together a year earlier in Montreal. It's kind of like the last days of the Montreal territory. And Rick Martel was kind of like the last great Montreal baby face. And then, you know, they would be pretty much broken up. I think Tom Zenk would leave the company in July of 87. So yeah, just a couple months after this. Yeah. So he's not really um, around after this. And then Martel kind of has like a more memorable run in the WWF as the, uh, yes, I am a model. And oh, but Strike Force, Force too, and they just yeah. kind of plug Tito into this too. It's it's the same look, it's a better theme. I don't necessarily know if they came out to girls in cars yet, but like that they had a theme. They had a good uh, Robbie Dupree, um, but like they just throw the white trunks on Tito and kind of right. make you forget about the Z Man. It's and, and they were a good team. They, I I thought so. Yeah, yeah. Two very good workers. That's a great example too. Like that's the Rockers before the Rockers. There's no payoff on television or pay-per-view to that, to that blow up. I think yeah. they're on opposite but, sides of the survivor series, but it's, there's not much to it to Martell and, and Santana's break. Yeah. Yeah. They were supposed to have a match at SummerSlam that year. And then Martell got injured. And then I forgot what they did with Tito that year, but, um, 
Yeah, I think Sean and Marty, they did that Royal Rumble match, right? Well, they were supposed to have the WrestleMania 8 match, which is actually Tito, and that's why right. Marty wasn't there. I, right. I feel like that match was supposed to happen three or four times, and Marty was just... Right, and then right. later that year, Janetti came back. They did that match on Raw where Janetti won the Intercontinental title. Great Raw I, moment. Yeah, it was. It was It was awesome. That's when it felt unpredictable. That's when, when it's you yeah. know, they were starting to really get that going. Somebody said to me, Raj... And I'll I'll go to the uh, hopefully not the grave saying this. But, uh, this is what I'll be saying when I go to the grave. But like Marty, somebody was like, "Oh, that who was it?" Uh, somebody said to me recently, um, "Tucker from Heavy Machinery is just the Genetti." I'm sorry, Marty Genetti was badass. Marty Genetti could could Marty Genetti, especially yeah. late '80s, early '90s Genetti, before like the new rockers. Marty was awesome. I, yeah. I'm a huge Marty Genetti fan. Yeah, it was never a talent thing with Marty. It was him getting oh. in his own way. Um, yeah, well, yeah, they, talent um, wise, he was. He was always there. He was always the, popular. He would always get the crowd reactions. Um, it was interesting. Yeah, he, just, he just couldn't keep out of trouble. The revolts, to this day. <laughs> no, like the on uh, the Talk is Jericho, you know, with the revolts, formerly known as the revival they were on. And they mentioned like, oh, like something about the Marty Jannetty of the team. Like someone said that. And then like they said they hated that. And Jericho kind of is like, yeah, I hate that. You know, like Marty Jannetty wasn't really successful and really great. And, you know, if you watch the matches, like the Rockers matches, it's not like super obvious that Shawn Michaels is like the major superstar on their team. Both of those guys are really 100%. good. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Sean may be a little more confident on the mic, but I agree. Marty was tremendous. Yeah. It wasn't until like, uh, what was it? What was 95, I guess, where Sean started working on his physique, getting rid of the mullet that he started to look more like a, a main eventer. But yeah, I mean, he had that match. There, I think you wouldn't be able to tell uh, who's who's the bigger star just watching yeah, the match. He had uh, it's actually like kind of a match that like people don't really talk about, but it's really good. It's like, I think it's the 1993 Survivor Series. It's like right after Brett had won the title for the first time, yeah, and he wrestles Sean, Brett and, Brett and Sean. Yeah, yeah, that kind of like the first you know Brett and Sean title you know world title match, and it's really good. It's, um, it's good, but it, that was also the first world title match that I felt didn't feel big at all in yeah. WWF. Yeah, Even though you're watching Bob, at that time. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Justin. No, Bobby's explanation was that the Bulldog beat Brett. Sean beat the Bulldog, so Sean would beat Brett. I, I agree. And it was a title versus title match that didn't wasn't it because the IC belt wasn't on the line. Yeah, that would have been a nice spot for the Bulldog or, or something different because that, that had no oomph to it. I agree. Yeah. Like Brett versus uh, Davy Boy before that for the Intercontinental title felt much bigger than that. Mm. And uh, just Sean wasn't there yet. And the Can-Am Connection just beat Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. Okay. One, trivia time. One quick I Marty story. question. Please. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Justin. It was, the, it was a really fun can. I drove out there. I think it was Glastonbury. If I'm, I'm getting my, my, my dates right. But it was a Cody-Kurt Angle cage match. And it took forever. To, it was Northeast Wrestling. It took forever to like an extra. It was the main event, so it took like forty-five extra minutes to set up the cage. And you could see, you knew like a big spot was going to happen. And there was a moonsault off the cage. It was a great match. It just a fun show. And I think Janetti was doing a signing that night. And I just said, Marty, you know, five ten minutes. It'd be fun to do a catch-up type interview. He said, I'd love to. He had my number. I had his. He's like, I'll call you in an hour. I I stayed over that night because I didn't want to. It was raining. I didn't want to drive back in the rain. And Marty must have called me at like, I don't know, 3.20 in the morning. And he's and I answered it groggy and tired. And he goes, you still got a minute to talk? I'm like, now? But that was my my kind of Marty being Marty story. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, – he's one of those – there's there's something uh, endearing about him. 
Uh, even when yeah. we, same thing when we talked with him on the site, just has he's got a likability, but he's he's got that screwball like you want to help him out, you know, likability the way he just he like getting, he kept getting work. I mean, he's still working today. Yeah, he does have something endearing about him, but. Again, he, uh, Marty is, is one of those to me that could have been a, could have been a much bigger, bigger star because uh, he was yeah. such a weird. I mean, there were there was that time when he was hired back when he had that mer- he had that match with Kurt Angle. It was a great match on TV. They, it's a WWF hired him back. WWE, I guess it was WWE now, and uh, and yeah, he kind of screwed it up and and he was gone again within weeks. So my trivia that question. Was my takeaway. Oh, trivia. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right. Uh, this is for the chat. We'll let the chat play along here. Real, so, quick, uh, real quick, that's the end of the show. The, the Can-Am wins, and then Vince and Jesse say au revoir, and that's it. That was the best moment of that, that when the when the snake clears the ring, when Jake clears the ring with Damien, that was the best moment of that show. I well, you, you talked about, Justin, the way they kind of, the whole Brandy, Jake the Snake thing, like the snake just kind of laid on Brandy, and they didn't sell that they were afraid of it. That's like the perfect sell of the snake. Maybe Andre has the perfect sell of the snake, but everybody that you had to run from it. It's the cat. It's the Undertaker's casket. It's the same thing. It's like you don't put somebody in the casket and close it till the till the story's done. Um, yeah, it's like what's yeah. the point of having it out there otherwise? If, if people aren't <laughs> like, scared of it, then yeah. what's the point? Um, I'm ready for the but, trivia. Okay, so the Iron Sheik, as mentioned a lot, was his part of his gimmick, or maybe it's the truth. I don't know. Is that he was the former bodyguard of the Shah of Iran. Another wrestler on the show had a gimmick where they were the bodyguard of a 1970s world leader. Who was it and who was the, who was the world leader? In the chat, please play along in the chat if you know the answer. Someone the, else the last on the time show. I got asked a trivia, I got it wrong. So I think I'm going to be 0 for 2. That's a great question. So someone on this show. Not the Iron Sheik. The Iron Sheik is one of them. There's another one who also had a gimmick where they were the bodyguard of a 1970s world leader. Jesse, on the show, like part of the show, or they, they we showed saw video. them tonight. We saw them tonight. They were in a match, which okay. you know, listens it. I'll let you go first, Justin, and I'll give my answer. Oh, thank, thank you so much. Because <laughs> my first guess would have been Ken Patera, but he was just on the. That's why I asked about the video. Yeah. Um, no, Ken Patera was in the dark match. I didn't mention that the dark match on this show, which was probably the real main event for the show, was Hulk Hogan and Ken Patera. They beat Hercules and Andre the Giant. So Hogan and Andre did wrestle on the show, but not on Saturday night's main event. I'm just eliminating the guys I know it wasn't, right? Like it wasn't Danny Davis. Uh, it wasn't George. It was Steve. Danny Davis. No, just kidding. Just <laughs> say no, no. Yeah. Um, no chance. Danny's not, 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 he's not great. It wasn't Jimmy Hart. Uh, let's think. It's a tough, tough question. Don't don't say if I'm right or wrong, but I'll say mine, and then Raj can say his, and everybody shares theirs. My answer will be, I'll say the body. Okay, that's good. Raj. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Nikolai. I'll just go with, with the tag team, like Nikolai with the president of Russia, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> um, so the the answer is uh, Kamala. He was allegedly the bodyguard of Idi Amin in Uganda. And that was part of his gimmick. And I read that today when I was researching Kamala, which was how I knew his entire career history because I have it in my notes here. And I was saying like, this and his gimmick is that and the, 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 you know, the Iron Sheik is, was also the bodyguard of the Shah of Iran, which I don't think the he Iron really Sheik was. really was, wasn't he? Was he's, I mean, he said that and like, I'm not going to say he's, it's wrong, but it also sounds like something that someone would say. I know he came over to no, the US. I think he was. I think you're legitimately I think was. legit. Like Sergeant Slaughter wasn't a Marine, but I, right. I thought she, I thought she legitimately had that background. Yeah. 
I can say for certain that Jim Harris from Mississippi was not actually Idi Amin's bodyguard. No. So, so what was your guys? What was the highlight of the show to you guys? I'll jump I in. Say, oh, yeah, go ahead, Justin. I, I like the. I like the. I thought Jake and Honky were really, really good. Mm-hmm. To me, it was a question of like, what do you do with Honky from there? Because he's going to lose that feud eventually, and go figure. He had a much bigger moment with the Intercontinental Belt. I like the bull. Anytime you see the Bulldogs and the Hearts together is fun. Um, but I mean. To me, there's just something about Bobby and Andre. And I think Raj talked about this the last couple of weeks, too. Even if you knew – so I didn't know Andre before before he was – I knew Andre as the bad guy with Bobby, as, as that villain from WrestleMania 3. Mm-hmm. That's how I knew Andre the Giant. They were so good together. It kind of wiped out like – they were so good. It wiped out like Andre's history of being this mega babyface. I just thought they were so – uh, electric together. Plus, uh, Steamboat, for whatever reason, is is. We always talk about Savage. Like he made Hercules look like a star. There, Steamboat was really good too. So lots of highlights. Again, it's the golden era. It's the cl- it's the classic section of the WWE. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Uh, I hate having to always pick Savage, but for me, it was the the Steamboat Hercules match with Savage and Savage interfering on behalf of Steamboat. You don't see it's simple storytelling. You don't see that angle anymore i mean you could have done that mm-hmm. with like raw if you know again if we did drew versus the big show over a couple of weeks had that match and then rollins kept like trying to screw you know big show so that he can get that title match with drew it's something that would still work it still makes sense um so i, I love that bit of storytelling i thought it was unique and i thought savage at the end with you know acting concerned because he had been helping steamboat more or less the whole match and then boom with the flying elbow and he got there so fast and and dropped him. I thought it was awesome. There That's- was no doubt, Raj, at the end of that, he wanted that belt. That belt was mm-hmm. his. Like, I loved it. There's yes. no, what's the story here? No, there's no question. It's like Savage wants his belt back. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I, I really like that angle because, again, it kind of puts the idea in fans' heads that Sa- like you don't really know what Savage is doing. He's It's not, I want the belt back at all costs. It's, I want to beat the guy who beat me for the belt. And that's a different story. And it's unfortunate that we saw um, you know, we never really got to see that feud because, you know, Steamboat would take the time off. And then when he brought back, it was just completely different. Um, I want to say the Hart versus Bulldogs match because that's probably like the best match. But the finish is so bad with like the DQ and everything like that. I mean, it's still a tradition as we've seen on Raw and NXT that bad DQ finishes can still happen and, and ruin otherwise very good matches. But that's one of my things. I have another question. And I was thinking about this because, we, you know, this is kind of the fall off for WrestleMania 3. We've talked a lot about WrestleMania 3. And WrestleMania, trivia? no, it's not trivia. So it's, a, right now. it's an opinion. It's an opinion question. Um, right. So WrestleMania three at the time was the biggest event in WWF history, 93,000, 78,000, whatever number you want to believe. And then it was broken uh, WrestleMania 32, right in Dallas. Do you think that WWE will ever have a bigger crowd than that again? Than Dallas? Mm-hmm. Next year. If, if, if they're able to live Los Angeles, I'm sure they'll. How big is the stadium? I know they can say whatever number they be, want. It's supposed to be bigger. Um, it's still, I, I think it's still under construction, Raj, no? Yeah, and they had paused it for a while uh, yeah. due to COVID. I don't know where they down. are now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Gavin Newsom saying that they can start playing, you know, uh, they can start doing sports again here soon, uh, just with empty, you know, empty arenas. But um, Vince is I, obsessed I believe, with I'm pretty numbers. sure it's, it's, it's bigger or as big as Cowboy Stadium. Let me, well, uh... the Cowboy Stadium is weird because when it first opened, they had like a 100,000 seat attendance. 
but after like a year or two, they shifted it, and now I think it seats like eighty thousand, or like roughly the same as, as most other NFL stadiums. So, were you I, guys at that mania? I've never been to WrestleMania before. Oh, really? That's not true. So that That's was- not true. Actually, I went to WrestleMania, um, WrestleMania uh, fourteen when I was three years old. Um, That's awesome. But I, I have no memories of it whatsoever. But you I've never been. WrestleMania 32, Justin? Is that the one you're asking about? Or Yeah, because well, San Jose the year before was the Niners Stadium, right. two football stadiums, and I know Dallas is a little bigger, um, typical Dallas fashion, but I thought that was just a very tough uh, uh, stadium to navigate. Like Everyone was in oh everyone's way. I, I was at that one. Dallas was tough. San Fran or San Jose, the, the Niners Stadium was – like cathartic, like you could walk around. No one was in anyone's way. But the next, and that show was cool too, because if you remember, like when Rollins takes the RKO, it's sunny out. When Taker and Bray Wyatt work, it's like dusk. Like that, when when Rollins wins the belt, it's dark. That mania was so perfect. Uh, but Cowboy Stadium, and that's a weird mania too. Um, yeah, everyone I felt like was in everyone's way, just building ones. Well, they also had the trouble getting people going so that was the last time i went live i usually don't go just i go for the weekend and then i head back on saturday because everything's so crazy on the site on sunday um that was the one year where i did go and i i regretted it <laughs> i regretted it yeah. because things did get crazy on the site but um yeah before uh there was something wrong with the scanner so they weren't allowing people to come into the stadium so you just had all these people it was hot outside you had some people like fainting and you know uh just dying in the heat and then when they let people in it was like just a big herd and then we had we were on the floor and then to get to the floor is a whole nother uh section you had to get through and then there was a big line there it was just a disaster and 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 to your point levi stadium i didn't go there for that wrestlemania but i went for the the super bowl 50 and it was easy i mean it was no problem so I learned my lesson from Dallas. I was gonna speaking of Jake Roberts. I was gonna it was some Jake Roberts like he was at, making an appearance at an indie show following thirty two. So yeah. my plan was to to jet out of WrestleMania after I, I did a story. It was like a midnight show, so I had time to get there. Whatever, whatever time it was, I had time to get there. The situation in Dallas was so like cabbies would only take cash. They were I think it was like a starting fare of a hundred dollars cash. It was it's why yeah. I take Ubers now. It was so miserable right. that night. Um, not only rivaled by the the MetLife mania in the rain, yeah. people people walking out and it poured. I actually uh, stayed in the building. I, I never left. I stayed in the building till I think four thirty or five in the morning, and then I could finally get an Uber home because the surcharge. I'm getting way off track, but like uh, the the side stories of WrestleMania. So we're officially off track. I so uh, well, according <laughs> to Wikipedia, which I have now, the capacity for SoFi Stadium is seventy thousand. But it says expa- expandable to a hundred thousand for the Super Bowl, WrestleMania, the FIFA World Cup, and Summer Olympics and other major events. Uh, that's weird that the like it's seventy thousand for football, but it'll be they have thirty thousand extra seats for the Super Bowl, which or soccer, which would presumably like I can understand WrestleMania because you do the seats on the, the field. Anything, I mean, maybe but, it's yeah, I mean it's also Wikipedia, so you know. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm just doing some like this is our <laughs> half-ass internet research yeah. corner. Right. Um, but they have like um, it's interesting. So, that, so it's about the size of Cowboy Stadium. Yeah. That's so they'll cl- but they'll probably claim a higher number just you know to break the record. I don't know what the real number is in Dallas. I think it's like ninety thousand. You know, I, I just know being there and Justin. I think you can attest to this too. Um, it was packed. There weren't empty sections. Oh, yeah. There weren't any areas tarped off. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was packed. Yeah, I absolutely. I don't know what the real number was, but I'm sure. Of course, they beefed it up. But that place that place was packed, no doubt. Yeah. Sure. Um, 
All right, that's pretty much all we got for today, guys. Jesse, else I gotta, we got to redeem ourselves. One more trivia question. Come on, what do you got for us? Something oh. from that era. We're gonna, we're gonna get one right. Uh, well, I have to think of one. Let me think of one. Um, I can't. I'm trying to think of one that's. Hey, I know, Kyle. I got one for you guys. Okay, Who okay, did okay. the British Bulldogs wrestle at the very first SummerSlam? And how did it end? I don't know the answer to that. The only thing I know about the first SummerSlam is the Hogan Andre uh, or Hogan DB oh. Hogan yeah. Savage okay. DiBiase uh, Mega Andre Powers match. versus the Mega Bucks. Yeah. I know it was the opening match on the pay per view. I know it was at Madison Square Garden. I heard a clicking. I've, Don't cheat, Jesse. I've seen the show before. <laughs> I am most certainly not cheating. Was was I don't know. I, 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 click. I, I don't I'm gonna know say demolition, answer. but I'm 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 wrong. Was it demolition? No. Let me think. Demolition uh, wrestled the Heart Foundation. Can I just guess a random tag team match? Just, now just I feel guess. like I have not looked it up. I did click onto Wikipedia, but I did not look it up. So now I feel I this is a complete guess. I'm gonna guess rhythm and blues. Okay. Uh, I don't think they were together. Honky Tonk. I would have been in. I would have been Ultimate in more. Yeah, one. I know. I would have been in more yeah. trouble if I got it right. So I'm glad I got yeah. it wrong. It was <laughs> the Rougeau brothers, and they had. Oh a, yeah. They had a Make freaking sense. awesome match, and it was. A, yeah. They went to a 20 minute time limit draw. So one of those interesting things is that like Vince is obviously. Brutal, the main Vince, oh, Vince, sorry, Vince. Those Vince time is, limit draws were like the worst. Yeah. Vince <laughs> is like it's not a count out, but a time limit draw. Come on. Well, yeah. a good time limit draw can can work. It just yeah. has to be good. Well, one of my no, favorite no, I'm matches. I'm still waiting to see a good one. No, Actually, no, no. Darby Allen, Cody Rhodes yes. is a good time. That's a Last perfect, summer. That was good. That's a perfect yeah. time limit drop because it's the idea was that Darby didn't like looked really good in the match. Cody didn't really lose anything by you know losing to that's Darby. On the short, that's on a short list of uh, Omega time limit draws that were. Yeah, oh yeah. no, Omega Okada, the sixty minute draw. Eh, mm. Raj, Raj, yes, Omega versus Okada. That's sacrilege. I think when you're going, look, when it's the main event of a show, uh, of a big show, you should have a finish. Um, for, you know, Cody versus Darby wasn't the main event. I think it's it's good. But I feel like a main event, a DQ, any kind of draw sucks. Yeah. I agree with the DQ. I, I think it's a like draw. You're, why are you spending all this time for no payoff? To me, that's why, like, uh, Brody Lee probably shouldn't lose clean on Saturday night, but how? He has to, right? Like, I, yeah, I'm he shouldn't be in game. that match yet. It's way too soon. I think it's it way sends a bad look. It's a bad look having a, a mid card WWE guy come in and right right away in the main event, in my opinion. And Let from a storyline perspective, about. you don't want him losing yet. You want to build that character up more, right? Does it does it help though? If he if they work a, I, I'm guessing it's just because it's going to be a good match. They're going to they have chemistry. They work really well together. If that match knocks you off, you know, knocks your socks off. Do you change your opinion a little bit? Because again, you got to end that with. Mo- to me, at the very least, it's Moxley beating a giant type guy to, right. to establish himself as as your your premier champion uh, and, and one of the best in wrestling. But it, do you have a different opinion if that match is really good? Or do- I, well, I, don't I think know. it's, I really it's that genie in the bottle kind of thing where once you see somebody beat, it, it kind of takes away some of that aura, right? Once you've seen Andre beaten, it's not as big the next time he loses again, or uh, or anyone. So. Wardlow. Uh, so when you bring someone in, I, I feel like, and you have big who would plans. you put in that spot then? Who would be who would be better for for Mox on Saturday? Um, you could have done. I mean, you could you could have done. Uh, I, I guess they don't want to do MJF yet, but uh, you know, 
that's a natural one. You could have done Jack Swagger. I mean, this I don't think this pay-per-view is going to do big numbers anyway. I don't know how much more Brody Lee would mean than Jake Hager, mm-hmm. I mean. Um, See, yeah, I thought I it was Jake instead Jake. of doing that on TV, what's that? Yeah, I thought you build to a Jericho. Same thing, right? Because Mox needs to win. It's too soon for Brody Lee. You go with Jericho in that match. Yeah. Um, but we're going like, yeah, something creative with that. But um, yeah, that's to me soon. is why... I still think Cody wins. I don't see how you can, if you have Cody and Mox both win, I'm sure Lance, I think Lance Archer would recover, recover quicker than Brody Lee. But if you're, if you're Lance Archer, you've got to win that match. Like he's their monster. You can't yeah. lose, but I don't know. I don't know how you do it. They very easily could box themselves into a corner in those matches. Yeah. And, and, and I they, just think, you like, know, the good, good matches, that's one thing, but the one thing with this AEW pay-per-view, and lately, just nothing feels big. Like w- when they first started, when Moxley came out, it felt big. It felt like something that could bring in new fans. Right now, it doesn't feel big. And, uh, and I feel like they need more of that. And part of that is protecting these new stars, not making them all comical, uh, having some serious guys in there. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, my thing with Lee is that it's too soon, I think. So I like last night, when he cut his first promo, I'm like, this is just like the Wyatt family, where this guy says stuff. And it kind of sounds okay, but it doesn't. You have no idea what his actual goals are, what his purpose is. He, I get it; he's a cult leader, but I don't feel like there's enough depth to his character right now, where I understand where his true motivations are. But I do like his exchanges with Moxley. Like I like the stuff the previous week where he was kind of going at Moxley after they beat him down, and I like the post-match stuff, you know, where he kind of sacrificed his guy Ten to Moxley, and I like that element of it. But I do think it's too soon to kind of push him into that position. I also, you also don't know if he was the original, this was the original plan. If they were concerned about scheduling, you had no idea who was going to be able to come in, you know, when they started building this, what we knew about travel restrictions and stuff was different. So it's hard for me to determine exactly like where this plan came in. It does feel like it's kind of being rushed forward. I just figured out we can look at the comments from people during the show. I apologize. I'm just somehow realizing this now. Um, The one thing that match I'll say, I don't know if this is in the comments or not. I'm just noticing there. The one thing that match has going for it, if it does end with a funky finish, is probably not the main event. Like I, I'd be surprised if that's to me. This is a middle of the match card, uh, and you end with the the the, the big blow off to the with the elite uh, in the inner circle. But I don't think this is a. I don't yeah, think this is a, a main event match. Yeah, um, Jason PS3. So I didn't like Flair versus Sting at the first clash. No, I love that one. Um, and again, I don't that like was that free match. TV. It was free TV, uh, and it, it made Sting a superstar. So, um, That's you know, again, I, if someone was elevated in that match, which I really didn't feel with Omega and Okada, I kind of felt like they, it just kind of a way to keep the program going without beating either of them. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, Sting versus uh, Flair, I thought that was a, a, an excellent way to make a new superstar. That's why, to me, I, and I love Cody Archer, like it's a great story. I would have gone the Hogan Andre route of get those guys out of the tournament. Like Archer right. could have cost Cody. Archer could have been DQ'd. And what a fun, like what would be a fun minute, like Darby and, and Sammy for a title or the, to me, that that's a missed opportunity that that, that title matches because Cody and Archer, they don't need the TNT title. But um, I think yeah. that's the point, Justin, is that they want to make the TNT title seem like it's a big yeah. deal. And if you put it on guys who people see as mid carters and Darby and Sammy yeah. are really talented young guys, 
But the idea is that it's these are like, you know, Archer is is maybe not like as big of a star as Cody, but he's been protected and been positioned and you have Jake and all that kind of stuff like that. They want to sell the idea that this title is a really big deal and it's a bigger deal if Cody's doing. I can see like because Cody can't go for the main title. I can see Cody's kind of character arc being built around this TNT championship way we've seen like, you know, we saw John Cena with the U.S. championship, Shinsuke Nakamura with the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, kind of like building the prestige of that title by having it on one of your actual top stars. No, I agree. And and then you have Darby beat that guy. You know, someone like yeah, they're teasing. They're teasing that Darby will one day beat Cody. He had that's you know they had the draw. They had like Cody kind of just narrowly beat him. He kind of like out out foxed him at the end. They're kind of teasing that, and eventually one day Darby is going to beat Cody, and maybe that's a year from now. I actually I think Archer should win the title first, and Cody chases him for it. Well, if you look at the card, Sue Moxley keeps the title. It's it's Kenny and and Hangman as tag champs. Like I don't think you have necessarily Cody as the 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 mid tier champ too, and it's. You need some balance on that on both sides of the card. Um, Tyson's a weird fit in that match. I don't know how, but I feel like Chris Jericho gets knocked out by by Mike Tyson on Saturday. I, I don't know how he fits into that. Oh, it's going to be Sammy gets knocked out. That's what I was thinking. Sammy. He's going to spin around like three hundred times, and he's going to like sell it great. Sammy Guevara is like the underrated like MVP of AEW as far as like. Everything he does, he does comedy. He has good matches. He takes these crazy bumps. He sells for all these guys. He's a great like understudy for for Jericho. And what's the surprise on Saturday? I, I didn't. I write don't know. About this no, like the surprise yeah. entrant. I think it's Drew Gulak. They want to do I a surprise. I don't know who's available. I know today Meltzer said that most of those recently released guys aren't around, aren't available yet. So I'm not sure who exactly it is. I don't know. Is Gulak a good enough surprise? I think Gulak's a good wrestler, and he showed some charisma in WWE. But I don't know if he's going to be like a great surprise. I think the the guy who would be the biggest surprise would be Rusev. Yeah, definitely. What about a Hardy turn? Is it too soon? I don't know what his long term. I hope so. Is be I'd, like. I'd like to see it because I, this character right now isn't working for me. I think Hardy as himself is is great. Um, and himself, you know, as a, a heelish Matt Hardy, I think uh, in this empty arena environment would, it would be more effective. In this character, Raj, I agree. It hasn't worked yet. But if you made it into a villain and it's so over the top, like all of a sudden it's like, all right, I like this. But as, as the baby face, yeah, I, I think. And there's so many guys for him to work with, too. Yeah. Uh, Hardy would be an interesting fit as a, as a, as a heel in AEW. Easy opponent for, for Mox to build to, too, with yeah. as well. Absolutely. So uh, next week for Saturday night's main event, that would be the October. So we went from May to October. Yeah, would they uh, kind of take a big jump because it's been kind of once every like eight weeks, maybe so far up until this point. Well, that's but, what they used to do uh, in the the early years. Is they they took the summer off. They didn't have it was like the seasons for the regular TV shows. They didn't yeah. have it. And I think the following year was the first. Oh no, it was two years later where they started doing a summer episode. Um, but yeah, so we're going to jump to October, and this is one of my favorite Saturday Night's main events of all time that we're going to be covering, uh, with Randy Savage becoming a full-fledged babyface and ho- aligning with Hogan, and it was just a, mm-hmm. one of the most memorable scenes uh, from for me from my you know wrestling childhood. I could still picture it. It's also part of the music video in uh, "If You Only Knew." Yeah, oh, you know, like that scene of of him going to get Elizabeth and hold, the Heart Foundation holding him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's few more iconic scenes in wrestling than more about the witness. Justin, there's been a lot of vital chatter. 
that really doesn't matter to me. <laughs> there you go. We a lot of you guys want to see me in agony. I that that but that's the picture a of a man. Understand? <laughs> when I first heard that song, I thought it was like a, a smash hit. Like right. what did I know? Like, like welcome I to the jungle. That was like that was music. Yeah. yeah. Why don't I hear this on the radio? Yeah. I, I, hey, I think the wrestling album too is actually the songs are actually good. Um, wrestling you know, album Driver, two is the one. Demolition. Wrestling album, two. wrestling album two is the one with Caramia by Nikolai. No, that was one. That one was they one. had the commentary in between with Vince and Jesse between the tracks, and you know, the three was, of us sing a duet. That one, yeah, yeah. Which one? What was on two then? Pile two driver? was yeah. Pile driver. It was called pile driver. Wrestling in, album two. Pile driver. Uh, Girls in cars. If you only knew. Yeah. Uh, because the first one is Land of a Thousand Dances that all the wrestlers do. I yeah, think, but yeah, girls I don't cars. know what it is. Hillbilly Jim had some love song on there that actually I liked. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's yeah. like Jim Johnson not being there anymore. I feel like the music in WWE has kind of like I don't find as many like really memorable entrance songs as I, Jesse, I feel like that's all of wrestling guy, right now. Why can't one guy sing his song? Like Shawn Michaels, when they when they yeah. hit Sexy Boy, and, he, and of course you want to sing a lot of guys sang their songs, yeah. yeah, yeah. But one guy can't sing his song. It's gotta be it's gotta be a, a, a villain to a bad guy, right? We can't, can't have defending. one guy singing his song. Like Jinder, have Jinder sing over his his theme song. Would be awesome. That's a cool theme song. <laughs> yeah, but I'm trying to think if anyone does sing. Jinder would be a great fit for that. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anyone uh, that. Sings today, well, like Jericho. Even Aiden English, he was a, he was a singer, and he yeah. didn't sing his own entrance. But I can't picture Aiden English as actually like intro music right now in my head. I just think it's just like I don't know. I feel like I think about like when I like again me growing up, which would be in like the mid two thousands. I think of like Christian's entrance music, like oh yeah, that was awesome. Just close your eyes. You know, obviously there's the Undertaker who has like famous entrance music, but like Shelton Benjamin's "Ain't No Stopping Me," like that was like I feel like all these stuff were kind of memorable, and now it's like a lot of like generic alt rock. Um, right, it's which just, is not to just, slam alternate rock, but it just kind of feels like there's less imagination put in, and it doesn't tell you that much about their characters. Right, it's like you could say, "I want that song," you know, just give me that song, or you know, it's it's Bray Wyatt had you know cool. Music yes, and yes, he, there are some exceptions. Like exception. Nakamura, Nakamura has good music. Nakamura. If yeah. if Jinder came out to a kind of new age uh, Rougeau Brothers theme, something goofy, <laughs> campy. Like it made you dislike the Rougeaus before they got in the right. ring. It was perfect. Right. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. It I like hard on I, People consider me a. Uh, people call me a Mark. I actually like AEW's entrance music a lot. I love Darby Allen's entrance music. I like Cody's. I like Kenny Omega's. I like MJF's. I love Hikaru Shida's. I find a lot of them to be like very listenable and very memorable for me. Jesse, you know what's a really underrated song that I, I mean I think we all like it. I think, but uh, the Heart Foundation. It's called Trouble in the Streets. I believe. Yeah. That song has lyrics, and the lyrics, oh, believe it or oh. not, are actually ba- badass. Jimmy sang it for me once. I've only got a. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you guys. Jimmy's got a. I've got a clip <laughs> of it. Um, he does like the chorus, or like it's like a. It's like a six second clip. But it, a, the, the song's perfect instrumental, right? But like when you hear the lyrics, it's like this song's cool too. So Bretton the Anvil had a had, had lyrics to that song. I don't know if anybody in the comment section knows, but um, wow, I didn't it. know that. Wow. Yeah, but Jimmy's a music. Guy. He's a legit music guy. Like oh, yeah. he's, he's oh, yeah. a you know a legit guy he in Memphis. American made in, <laughs> yeah. in WCW. That was a fun house show because that was a show. Um, 
It was actually in Everett, Mass. The Hardys were there. The line was out the door. The gym had the gymnasium had flooded the night before. The Hardys were were working with TNA or Impact at the time. And I remember doing an interview in the Hardys office, which was literally like a curtain, and it was where the they were sitting in like the gym teachers' chairs. And I think this was around the time they could have been going back to WWE. And to me, it was like they're going back, right? They're sitting in the gym. There's like puddles of water on the floor. It's like ah, uh, it's the Indies, you know. You love it, but was it the uh, Everett, uh, at the Everett Rec Center, like across from high school? Yeah, yeah, it was. Good memory. Nerland's Noel Court. And oh. Jimmy, Jimmy sang that. Jimmy sang. Jimmy's like, did you ever hear this song? And I'm like, no. Right, same thing. And I was like, blown away. So, wow. my mind is blown. I, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check it out. That's awesome. Uh, well, Justin, uh, guys, uh, this was another fun week, and next week will be. Will be awesome, uh, Justin. You got uh, anything to plug? The next few days are going to be busy. I'll start with. That. I know tomorrow we'll I'll have an advance. We'll have an advance preview of the Undertaker's uh, Last Ride documentary. And Saturday, uh, there'll, there'll be stories. I think tomorrow through Wednesday, and, and maybe beyond. But I know Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll have pieces up, um, which is always tricky because you want stories to have a chance to breathe in between. But there's just so much content. Uh, tomorrow will be the, the review of the take advance review of the Taker documentary the third episode which i actually think is the best one out of the three so far and saturday is a q a with sean michaels on the undertaker and, and sean doesn't hold anything oh. back and talks about the early memories uh, his early memories of taker uh up until saudi arabia and, and what made that match such a mess of the magic crown jewel in 28 in november 2018 and why sean doesn't regret it so that's those are the next two days very cool. And on Wrestling Inc., we got uh, we'll have our also have an Undertaker uh, review of the the upcoming episode, as well as I, I spoke with Ric Flair today for over an hour, uh, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And that will be out that'll be out next week, but also this week we've got Diana Parazzo, Matt Hardy, uh, Chuck Liddell exclusive interviews, and a bunch of big stuff next week. Uh, Kevin Smith, uh, the, uh, the the famous director. Uh, Rush, give us a taste. Paul Walter Flair, Hauser. What? What's one of the big flair takeaways? That's I'm looking forward to, to listening. Ah, uh, let's see. It was it was mostly positive. We you know it'd been kind of a downer of a week, so uh, it was it was just kind of fun stuff. He was he was telling me a story about, uh, and he was saying he'd never told this story when he was going to wrestle Vince, and and you know originally he wasn't supposed to wrestle when he came back, uh, and uh, in whatever year that was, I think it was 2001, 2002. Anyway. Uh, they finally asked him to get it back in the ring. Uh, and when it came down to it, he didn't want to do it. And he's like, man, my confidence is shot. I can't do it. And everyone's giving him a hug. He goes to hug Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie hugs him. It's like an emotional moment, he was saying. And it just opens the door behind him for him to go out. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess... Uh, I guess I'm doing this. But uh, it, it was hearing Rick tell it, it's, it's hilarious. Amazing that one of the all-time greats dealt with such confidence issues. Like Flair's yeah, always talking. Same about as Taker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like, what are you guys worried about? But yeah. I, I guess that's what made them them. Yeah, it's like two of the coolest guys ever in wrestling, and you know, that's uh, when you're great. Yeah. I guess that that's what happens. But yeah, it's crazy. And also, we were talking about Ric Flair. He re- he signed a new uh, WWE contract, and uh, we had reported that last week. I didn't realize that when we reported it, it was like the day after he had just signed it. So uh, it was pretty cool. So he's with nice WWE uh, for a while. To me, that's that's a big part of the Sting story, right? Like, he's got leverage now. He's got two companies that, that have to be interested. 
And if there was ever time for a Sting Undertaker match, this is it. Like there's, yeah. you could do a cinematic take, and it might can you hire a stunt double and protect Sting if, exactly. if he doesn't get cleared medically. Like, all right, well then work around. To me, that's a SummerSlam. That's a, that's a cinematic SummerSlam type match. Yeah. Um, so bring I'm back Jeff Farmer. Yeah, yeah, bring, yeah bring back Jeff, Jeff Farmer because he was the fake Sting. Yeah, right? Have him uh, do the bumps. NWO Sting. <laughs> Uh, Jesse, do you got a do you got something coming up this weekend? I do. Tomorrow, I have um, I have a piece. I think we talked about it offline last week, but I have a piece on um, uh, using pushing wrestlers under the age of thirty, and kind of like the value and the value of pushing wrestlers who are both young and pushed as being young, and kind of the difference. Here's here's a trivia question for you, Justin. I did the right. research. All right. It, on WWE's current active roster, not count, I'm not counting guys who are injured, on Raw and SmackDown, male wrestlers, how many of them do you think are 28 or younger? You asked that question again? Male, so, Raw, male, male Raw Smackdown, roster. Yeah, SmackDown and Raw rosters, awesome. currently active, not counting injured guys. Who? How many wrestlers do you think are under the age of 28? Like what number? 28 and I'll say I'll say thirteen. I'm going to say four because I'm expecting a low number here. <laughs> it's it is four. Ah, all right. <laughs> so it's it's Angel Garza, Austin Theory, Humberto Carrillo, and Otis, and then Akam and Razor are actually both 25 and 26, but they're not active currently. Not active. And that was a much I thought it was small, and that was a smaller number than I thought when I was doing the research. And I was like, wow, these guys are like even guys who you think like Alistair Black, you consider like kind of like a young guy, and he's 34. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of looking at that, kind of looking at like historically how they've been able to push guys and also looking at how old the WWE audience is and the trouble they've had, you know, getting teenagers and teenagers naturally like to see other teenagers or people in their 20s. So it's kind of looking at that, kind of giving out some theories as to how maybe you could attract more younger viewers by pushing some younger talent. And I wonder, Jesse, uh, oh, go ahead, Raj. I was going to say, because a lot of the biggest stars, they became superstars in their 30s. Austin, Hogan. Yeah, it's um, not, like I said. I think Goldberg yes, might have 43. Yeah, Archer's 43. He's, he's, he's ready now to me. Lance Archer, yeah, the, it's the not a hard and fast rule. No, but of course not. It's the idea is like young people like seeing other young people. And it's not necessarily going to, you don't necessarily have to push them to the moon. But to have them on that show. Like, like I'll use Cena as an example, right? What kind of got Cena over, and I think he was 26 or 27 when he first won the world title, when he became like the guy, was that his character connected with younger people because he was a younger guy and he had like a modern hip hop kind of character. And that connected with younger audiences. It certainly resonated with me as a kid and got me interested in wrestling. Um, And I don't know if you kind of have that, even like guys like, you know, like, okay, like Akam and Rezar are, are 25 and 26. Like, does that matter? They're not pushed like that. And on the contrast in AEW with the young guys, and Jim Ross is so good at this, is he always pushes that these guys are young. And part of the fun of being a wrestling fan is seeing someone like a young guy and then being like, oh, they're not even, they're just scratching the surface of how good they're going to be. You know, people like watching prospects in, in sports because of that same reason. The idea is to see the potential, not necessarily the finished product. So if you can have those guys and push them, it creates an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Well, very cool. Um, I, I I need to get running here in a minute, uh, but uh, thank you guys, and I can't wait to do this again. Thanks everyone for tuning in; we really appreciate it. And uh, you know, please like us on YouTube, uh, leave a comment, and let us know what you think. And we will see you guys back here next week. Take care. Watch.